name is Tom Chit, and I am here for the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Guardians of the Galaxy. Man, sometimes I love it when it's summer. Yeah. <laughs> I have oh, brought along with me to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy, Christian Mulonsky. Finally. <laughs> and hoping he's not going to pull an Avengers on us with a tagline for Guardians of the Galaxy, Kelly Wand. Um, since Ronan and the Kree are also members of the same galaxy, aren't they really just the Guardians of Xandar? Now you're confusing me. I don't oh, know that I have an geez. answer for that, but we'll get into that shortly. Uh we're also going to – Kelly Wan is going to bring us a tagline every week, of course, as usual. We also, every week, Kelly Wan is going to bring us an IMDb movie synopsis. Yeah, do you want it now or later? I want it now, Kelly Wan. I guess it makes sense you would want it when you brought it up. Yeah, let's – let's. well, you know what? I don't know that I've segued it smoothly. We'll have to work our way through this, but Kelly Wan, you sometimes just browse IMDb. What have you found for us this week? This week's uh, IMDb synopsis is – 1985's motion picture, Red Sonia. All right. How, what is the Red Sonia official IMDb plot synopsis? Rocky. 4.9 rating. This isn't what you that's asked That's right. Yeah, just go to the synopsis. It's in the top 5,000, though, the IMDb. Right, so, and I'll be mentioning if it's not. That's another key feature. Okay. Uh, but the Red Sonia synopsis from IMDb is... A vengeful woman sets out to retrieve a magic orb from an evil queen whom she vows vengeance upon after the evil queen slain her family and her loyal warriors raped her. (laughs) I remember that happening. It's a weird thing. Thing is, it's terrible for you to laugh at. I'm really laughing because Guardians has something about an orb in its IMDb. Well, there are parts, like, you could could be surfing along that synopsis for a while and maybe uh, apply it tangentially to Guardians of the Galaxy, but but you get bucked off at some point. Yeah. (laughs) It definitely does throw you, and it doesn't fit Guardians of the Galaxy anymore. Uh, Kelly Wan, thank you for that. Uh, It says Evil Queen twice, too. She must be really evil. I mean, that's important to to highlight that. Or or really queen. Does any of us know if Red Sonja is worth seeing again? The listeners will tell us. Yeah, listeners let us know. Probably, yes, I predict. Uh, and also, a real quick aside, uh, I did some homework this week after last week's podcast. Dingus helped me with part of the homework. He didn't do the difficult part of the homework, though. He did the easy <laughs> part of the homework. Last week, I posited that there were two kinds of people in the world. And just to verify, I have watched both of these movies, and I do feel that it is impossible, <laughs> flat-out impossible, to like them both. Any rational person who has seen both of these movies will probably hate one and like the other. There's one right way of thinking, I feel, about this. I imagine Dingus is with me on this. Here are the two movies. Kelly Wand, I'm going to make you the test bed because you probably see, forgot. I'm the dumbass. Yeah, let's see. Kelly Wand, are you more of a Tango and Cash person or are you more of a Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? The second one, but I don't hate Tango and Cash. Have you seen it recently? No. It's horrible. It really is terrible. And it was never good. It's not like it's not something that would hold up because there was nothing to hold up. But um, well, they, what, that's exactly. I'm my trying point. to think. Wait, I'm, not, I'm trying to remember if, why I liked it because I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Like, I don't think. Oh, Davidson. No, it's puerile. I don't think there's any chemistry between. Is there any good action? No, not really. I mean, all wait, the, wait, okay, wait, there's one part where they're in the prison and they bust out and there's like the electricity, right? Right on the wire. Yeah, they, they have they have to use their belts to zip line away. Yeah. That's kind of... I like when prison breaks happen. Spoiler alert. 
Um, this is this is a very poor comparison to what we got to see this week. I've seen two yeah. Prison Break sequences this week, one of which was awesome, one of which was terrible. The terrible one was in Tango and Cash. A- another thing, too, about Tango and Cash, Kelly Wan, it's a, it's a Russian director named Andrei Konchalovsky, who I don't think knew what he was doing being tossed into this kind of movie. Uh, no one did. Sylvester Stallone doesn't know what he's doing. I, exactly. Sylvester Stallone's supposed to play this, like, stuffed shirt stockbroker. Yeah. That's interesting. At least Kurt Russell has had experience with this kind of movie before. But he's the I get his character, and he's trying to he, his thing with Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher's really cute in that movie, isn't she? She's cute, but she doesn't know what she's doing either. I mean, it's like well, she. There's an embarrassing scene where she's giving Kurt Russell a back rub, yeah. and Ugh. Sylvester Stallone walks in and thinks they're having sex, and it's all this stuff where she's trying to push a slipped disc into place, and she's like, "Oh, it's almost there. Oh, it's almost in. Oh." I'm pushing it in. And it's like, it really is like something from Three's Company that Mr. Roper would walk in on. Yeah, except it's, uh, it's Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. They're making and, my case for me. And she's got a giant picture of herself on the wall of her room. <laughs> How's your career going? Yeah. And it's where we find out that they're brother and sister. It's not his girlfriend. I, I really think Tango and Cash is so incredibly clumsy. Maybe some people appreciate it for the cheese value, but I don't think there's any way you could actually like it and think that it has much redeeming value unless you just really don't understand movies. First. Are you? It seems like a weird, like, that's the movie you're picking to accompany Harley well, Davidson. I, I brought up that I brought up uh, Harley Davidson, the Marvel Man, last week for the 3x3. Three three. Yeah. So, and so the two of you started, sort of started talking about those two things. But no one went, oh, Tango and Cash is the rich man. No, but no, Tom, no. Tom got a bee in his bonnet about these two movies. Because they're both from the same period of time. They're both they're, they're both these odd couplings of actors. Yeah, um, and they're both kind of action comedies. Uh, it's just give us a Marvel one since it's a remake of Butch Cassidy. What? Well, yeah. Look at the title. And then they're similar, and then like there's a super posse chase. Why is it? Why isn't Tango and Cash also a remake of Butch Cassidy? Well, saying that it's not, but that's why I don't know that it's really analogous. Like I don't know that Tango and Cash belongs on the same because it's not. It's it's not really like Demolition Man's almost more. But that's like, not a buddy movie. Demolition Man is Judge, Judge Dredd is woken up and he goes after Wesley Snipes. Tango and Cash was just a ripoff of Lethal Weapon, like. Lethal Weapon actually might be, but didn't Lethal Weapon predate those by maybe yeah. about seven? Yeah, that's years? why yeah. Lethal Weapon is 1987. Yeah, right, and I forget when Tango and Cash was. They're at least a couple years later, but I do believe they're both based on this foundation. Let's do an action, an 80s action movie, but instead of one male lead, we'll have two male leads. But you didn't. Well, so yeah. They were going to spice up the two chicks, probably. And well, but so my point is, I think they're both that same. Hey, post Lethal Weapon action movie take. Yeah. Where let's have two. And, and Lethal Weapon, of course, is classic, and it went on and became a, a franchise. Neither of these did, uh, and I think they're both kind of misfires in unique ways. Uh, but here's the thing. Oh, Harley Davidson actually. Thing is, what was your take? So I was expecting they might both be awful, because I'd seen both of them as a kid, and I was disappointed in both of them as a kid. Like, both of them, I recall seeing them and thinking, I'm, I'm not really liking this. Disappointed. Uh, you thought it'd be Die Hard? You thought Tango and Cash? I, I, I think I was I was a child of Lethal Weapon. I was like, you know what? Let's you know, yeah. give up those. These, but, are, these are actors I know, I like. I've seen them in action movies. Let's see them together. And I found both of them disappointing. But here's what I recently discovered this week. I think the reason I found Tango and Cash disappointing is because it's awful. The reason I found Harley Davidson the Marlboro Man disappointing is there's a lot of weird, subtle, different, unique stuff in that movie that I was too young to understand. Yeah, Harley Davidson the Marlboro Man has some really amazing... 
I think I'm going to go on record and say, holy cats, I love that movie. Well, yeah, I do too. And it's weird and different, and I didn't remember a lot of stuff from it, and I'm blown away by what Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke are doing yeah. in it individually and with each other. Some of the action was hilarious. Uh, I, man, yeah. I, and Dingus, I think, just sat down to watch like a scene with me, and the both of us sat just sat at the kitchen table while the thing ran its course. I think we were both just totally hooked on it. Um, no, it's great. It's not even – that's what I'm saying. Tangled Cash is nothing next to that movie. Maybe I'm crazy to think that there are some people who would prefer Tango and Cash. <laughs> you find one because you – Well, here's the thing. I think Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, uh, like I said, as a kid, I was disappointed and didn't understand I remember the weird stuff and liking it, though. So. But I think a lot of people who don't really appreciate the weird, weird touches and, and, you know, whatever Mickey yep. Rourke is doing about being a bad shot and all of their <laughs> – they have weird relation a relationship, and it does this kind of Western thing where they're going to save the bar. You know, it's like yeah. saving the orphanage from the bank, but everybody gets killed who owns the orphanage, so it becomes a moot point. Um, there's just really weird things in there that I think would alienate a lot of people who just want an average action movie. Hey, when you get a chance, watch the beginning of Lethal Weapon 4. It was on like a week or two ago, and I really wanted you guys to see it, especially both of you. <laughs> It involves a flamethrower, just like the opening set piece. It's only five minutes. Okay. And then tell me how that r- racks up next to any scene in Harley Davidson Marlboro Man. Well, see, I don't think Harley Davidson Marlboro Man is about the set pieces, though. Like, I, I don't, no, no, but there's I also... Think, I don't think you could watch, like, five minutes of it, because that's what got me interested, too, is Dingus had rewatched the pool scene for our 3 by 3 And I think to really appreciate what that movie is doing, you watch the whole thing. That, yeah, that, it, that pool scene is an awesome hook. But there's so much more than that. The Lethal Weapon Four, they they do it. There's some a lot of jokes, but they're going. They're trying to. There's like a flamethrower guy just in the middle of the street for no reason by himself, like just blowing up gas stations. And so he makes Rod, he makes Danny Glover take his pants off and run around in his underwear to quote distract him. Well, the other guy blows up cop cars. Danny Glover, like he glows, at like a Glover. <laughs> oh wait, also, oh never mind. Just watch it. There's a, there's a couple announcements they mention to each other in the middle of the fight, and it's supposed to be funny, but it just makes you think, what shitty cops they are. One of the advantages of um, both Tango and Cash and Harley Davidson and the Marvel Man is they didn't become franchises, so they couldn't be run into the ground and destroyed. Yeah. All we have is the original it's- creation. Yeah. But you know what? You're right that it's it's a neglected classic because you never hear about remakes for it or like right. they're both like their careers have kind of both rebounded. Absolutely, but yeah. they don't even go. Oh yeah, we should make a sequel to that one awesome movie we did. Uh, I really wish and Dingus even mentioned this at the time. There's a great moment during the shootout at the end where Don Johnson is berating uh, Mickey Rourke for how much his bullets cost. Because he's, he's chosen this one badass gun that he really likes. And Don Johnson's like, you know, every time you shoot that, that's a dollar. <laughs> There's a point where Mickey Rourke empties his revolver at someone. And Don Johnson has this great line about, you just spent $6. You didn't hit anything. I got one in less than three bucks. You know, <laughs> it's like a, a math <laughs> moment that I wish we'd brought up for the three by three. Um, oh, see? Do you remember? Oh, who the, watch it. Do you remember the villain? Who the villain is? No. Because there's I, a couple of them. It's early Tom Sizemore and really weird. Right, there's no other way. Uh, Stephen Bald. No. Uh, yeah, Daniel. Uh, Daniel Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Um, he, he's the underrated Baldwin. Also, I I must have spent about ten minutes looking at Giancarlo Esposito before I realized <laughs> I was looking at Giancarlo Esposito. I couldn't That's how believe he it. Feels. Who was the girl? Or was there one? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of... Well, there's Ross analog. Chelsea Fields was her name? I don't know. Uh, and actually, was there another girl? I guess not, Dingus. 
No, there's a well. There's so, Vanessa Williams. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Man, Wait, she didn't what? Story. That's right. And the weird couple of that big Jack guy and Vanessa Williams. You think they're going to get back together, but there's none of that. But that big huge Jack dude is hooked up with Vanessa Williams. Mm-hmm. I loved how odd that was. Hmm. Yeah. It's great, and and you know, uh, um, the big huge Jack guy is uh, named John Studd or something. But she just does this horrible she's in the club and she's singing and she just does at some point she's just like dum da 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 <laughs> like we can't we can't be bothered to license a song so just uh yeah just, fuck just, up just enough yeah. you know i, I wonder if that's what, 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 what uh michael rooker was doing in guardians of the galaxy oh is that a song he was doing <laughs> oh stop oh but who was your favorite that's actress actress in um uh, in the marlboro man movie my favorite actress yeah who's your favorite actress in that movie tom she was in the she was in the gas station. Oh, that's right, <gasps> Kelly Wand. Do you know in Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, the first actress you see, actually the second actress, because we 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 meet Mickey Rourke when he's leaving some hot naked chick on a bed, and he's like, I gotta get out of here, and he gets on his motorcycle and he rides out of there, and where he picks up the gun that he then gives to Don Johnson as a present is when he foils a robbery, and in this scene, Kelly who. Oh, I love her. It's, uh, it's, super, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> That's Kelly Who. Uh, that was before anyone knew who she was. Exactly. Knew who oh, she was. I gotta watch it again. Yeah, you do. All right. Yeah, I can't so, believe what a good movie it is. I was, I was just, I was just gape. I, I couldn't believe because I remember watching it too because it came out in '91. I must have rented it sometime after college and watched it. Be like, what the hell? Um, but I didn't get what they were doing with the relationship and. We sat there watching it, and I just couldn't believe this is such a good movie. It has such an interesting touch and so many weird elements to it, like when all of the yeah. dudes like hop over this flaming oh thing, that has the, the flaming <laughs> bike that goes past them. Right. And, uh, when John Studd or whatever, when Jake, I think is who Tom said he was, uh, like lays the bike down, and and the dudes in their <laughs> in their weird overcoats hop over it and in like. In tandem, it's that's just, what the future is going to be like. Yeah, it's just that, it, and, and that great airplane graveyard thing. Uh, oh, it's just got so many great touches. I, I, I sat there watching, and I'm like, I'm not going to stop watching this thing. It's, it's so good. It's. Such I know a there's movie. a there's a drug in it too, isn't there? I remember Which that. kind of they don't go anywhere with, but yeah, there's like some insidious drug that they. Yeah, have. It's, I think it's called Crystal Dream or something. You're, yeah, supposed, to, yeah. you're supposed to put it in your eyeball. Um, so the, the thing, too, that I think is – I think also part of what makes it work and, and part of what makes it stand out more than Tango and Cash – I've said before that every now and then I'll try to watch an old movie that has like Steve McQueen or Charles Bronson in it. There's some good ones. I'll find you some good ones. But the thing is I don't, I don't get a lot of those because I don't have the, the kind of baggage that comes with those movies when people sit down and they watch a Steve McQueen movie. They have this kind of experience of who Steve McQueen is, who Charles Bronson is. You know, They've seen them in all these other movies, so that goes into their view of this particular movie, and when I just come straight into Great Escape with no real frame of reference for why I should think Steve McQueen is cool, it doesn't really work for me. One of the things that that totally doesn't work so well, Kurt Russell is great to watch uh, in Tango and Cash, Sylvester Stallone, he's just completely out of his element, doesn't work, but one of the things that's really amazing about Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, is how much goodwill and fondness I still have for Don Johnson, and how his career is gone, and even more so for Mickey Rourke. 
I mean, Mickey Rourke is a goddamn miracle of, of Hollywood. You know, what his career has been through and how he's gone from this pretty boy, sort of almost like softcore porn Aiden Lynn actor type guy to a guy who was like disgraced and who just wasn't getting much work to the amazing comeback that he had in The Wrestler. Um, just the, the depth and the breadth of his career. You can't help but think of when you watch things now like Diner and Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man. I mean, there's just so much. I just have so much uh, sort of awareness of and fondness for these two guys that really, you know, it comes into play with how much I appreciate that movie right now in a way that it didn't in 91, I'm sure. Um, I think early on, I mean, very early in his career, people kind of talked to him in sort of hushed uh, right. Brando tones. I mean, it was weird. And and right, right, exactly. And and I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what. Became and then it, you know, things just went astray. And when when we went to back to watch this, all I could think of was like his his like his post. I don't know if it's surgery or just puffy right. faced. Right. And I was worried that when we saw him, he would look like that. But he's just he's so relaxed and. Yeah. I mean, he just has such a and. Don Johnson is just, good lord, that guy is so freaking charming. I mean, I love him so much in that. Him just taping up his boots. Like, I yeah, can just watch yeah, that. Yeah. They're sitting there fiddling with their guns, and he's putting duct tape on his boots, and they've just got banter going. I mean, the movie, that's a lot of what the movie is, and the movie knows this is what we mostly have yeah. to offer. Yeah. It felt like a labor of love. Yeah, yeah. That definitely. first time I saw it, and they both seemed really committed to it. Whereas Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, right. And then he goes, let's do it, and you hear him on the soundtrack. So he's already broken character before the movie fucking starts. Well, oh, yeah, well, not only that, there's a moment in the beginning of Tango and Cash where Sylvester Stallone, someone calls him Rambo. Yeah. Rambo was a pussy. Yeah. It's like so uh, smirky. Like, that's what that character would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stockbroker guy. Right. All right, so there we go. Uh, we Vanity piece. On this podcast, officially endorse Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Yes. We are not Tango and Cash people on this podcast. We are Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man people. I guess, think everyone is, though. I really think you're – it's okay. like uh, – I'll be curious if anyone comes to bat for Tango. Yeah, can anyone defend Tango and Cash? I would love to hear this. <laughs> you started to, Kelly Wand. I think I talked you down. What? You talked me down by me not being able to remember anything good about it. <laughs> Although I do like her Russell. I like his character. I think he's kind of fun, and he seems to kind of be enjoying himself. Well, it yeah. is a great moment when he shows up in drag. Oh, my God, that's right, Dingus. Uh, I hate Dingus, that. you might have just given Kelly Wand ammunition. <laughs> I totally forgot how utterly outrageous that was. Kurt Russell and drag and Tango and Cash. Holy Drag's crap. never good. It's never funny. I don't understand it. That's it's just so out of place and weird, though. And there's even a later scene where he's still just wearing the dress for the heck of it, when he's already changed, and he has to put a shirt on. And he puts I, I can't remember that. On. See, that's funny. <sighs> on accident. I'll give him that. They it's, accidentally made a funny scene. Yeah. But notice it's all Kurt Russell. I know, I know, exactly. You know what? You might as well just watch Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, that's a good point. Because even the back, of his, the guys he plays off in that are all good. Exactly, like, right. It's a, it's a total package. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Dang. Speaking of total packages, Dingus, what did guess, we see this week? Oh my god. <laughs> well, this week we saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah. Uh. A 2014 action adventure sci-fi superhero Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. <laughs> About the power of awesome mixtapes. It was directed by James Gunn and written by him with Nicole Perlman, mm. based on comic books by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Hmm. It stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Zelda, 
<laughs> yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Dave Bautista. Which one? Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and Josh Brolin. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is rated PG-13 for, for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action and for some language. And I would like to tell you that uh, one of the fun things I do is look at all the parental advisories because I really wanted to be careful about this one. And one of the parental advisories under language was this quote from some helpful uh, writer uh, to IMDb. A man makes a rude gesture to another man. <laughs> what? What's... Come on, seriously, <laughs> Kelly Wand? Oh, I know what he's talking about. Uh, So there's a game that I like called Marvel Heroes, which is kind of Diablo, but with all these uh, Marvel characters. And in in conjunction with the Guardians of the Galaxy being released, they have uh, made all of the the five Guardians somehow part of the game. So that's kind of a a little event that they're having. So now when you boot up the game, there's a new splash screen that has the Guardians of the Galaxy, all five of them in a lineup, uh, like in that police scene. But they're all five there. And the Star-Lord character, who just has his mask down, is doing the winch thing with his hand. Mm-hmm. And I don't maybe because the game is rated E10 for e, for whatever reason, Ugh. Star-Lord's middle finger pops up. But in conjunction, his index finger pops up. So he's giving the, the victory sign, or I guess that would be the peace uh, sign. Oh, that's so weak. <laughs> but furthermore, when he does it, they do an animation where he's doing that whole shrug, like, I don't know how this machine works. They do that whole animation gimmick with him popping up the V for victory symbol. <laughs> That, that sums up why we're so stupid as a species. Like, I, I mean, the technology and went, wait, kids can't see both one finger. Right, right. I mean, it kind of is. That it, it, they didn't, to their credit, they didn't do the F word. They just flipped the bar. I do it. But yeah, but who likes it? Who, oh, two fingers. That's pretty clever, too. I really do. I think it's partly, too, Kelly Wan, that movies and games are in a very different situation. This is a free-to-play game. I think it's it's intentionally supposed to be safe for younger kids. And why? I can't blame them for this, but it's a terrible... They should have just cut it. Because it makes yeah. no sense yeah. to have him flipping up the peace sign and then shrugging like, I don't know why it did that. <laughs> it's a I reference just wanna, to a great I action. would die to be a fly on the wall like during the meeting. That meeting, right. Well, we can't have one finger come up. Oh, God. We, we already made the animation. What are we going to do? And they can clearly, by the way, it clearly looks like they just jammed in at a weird angle the second finger. It's clearly like almost like a Photoshop thing or something that they can we make him there. say hang loose? No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's too rude. Should we do a black bar over the finger? Yeah. They... <laughs> or a pixel. Let's pixelate his finger. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Or everything but his finger. All right. Well, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I think everyone expected this. This uh, it it did far. Well, I think it did better than folks expected, but we knew it was going to do well. Uh, it, I think it's so far number two opening this year. It didn't quite live up to the Winter Soldier numbers, but it had a slam bang opening weekend at ninety four million. <laughs> slam bang. Um, it's unfortunately it's number two behind Lucy. Lucy made ninety eight million this weekend. So what? Yeah, I know. I'm wow! Kidding. I'm, I'm totally uh, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What? <laughs> Lucy's number two. Lucy's doing fine. Mom, oh, you jerk! What a jerk! What did you? What did you? 
Uh, easily Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. And actually, here's the deal. Previously, uh, the number one movie to open in August, because it's kind of the waning bit of the summer season, the previous number one opening in August was uh, Born Ultimatum, I think, at something like $63 million. So Guardians of the Galaxy blew the August record out of the water with a huge $94 million. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So sweet. Uh, critically, if we – oh, yes, Kelly Wand? Uh, nothing. Okay. Uh, if we look at Metacritic, this is the average re- rating from various reviews. It's a 76. What? Huh. What? It's a 76 what is... on Metacritic. Guardians oh, yeah, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Out of how many? See. Out of 100. So, oh, right. you know, it's a nice middling rating. But uh, if we look at Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive, 93. Only seven percent of the reviews were these like stick in the mud. It's like ah eh, no, don't go. It's not very good. Whatever. It's just another superhero movie. Yeah. Ninety-three percent positive reviews overall. Thumbs up. So huh. yeah. So Kelly, one, you were going to say something about Lucy. I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say that Lucy. Everyone either really loves it or really hates it. So it's another of your two groups thing, like Tango and Cash versus. Um. Yes. Well. You both loved it, right? Uh, yes, I think so. And I haven't seen it yet. You didn't go, so you don't oh, yeah. love it. Because you haven't seen it. No, it's my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you better see that then. Oh. But people, uh, I should see it before. Because people start, just the hater, I go, why didn't you like it without spoiling anything? And then they start talking, and then I go. Uh, I hate that, uh, and this is in the trailers, I mean, I I, I really wish that the, that the, I feel about this way about most movies, but I, I certainly feel that, uh, a lot of the marketing stuff kind of will spoil the experience of Lucy. And, and certain conversations you would have beforehand kind of mess it up. The chick I talked to said that she never uses her powers, and that was why she didn't like it. And I think that's an important point of the movie, by the way. Is yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, I kind of feel that that's... Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not... It, it's Luke Besson kind of subverting his own, hey, a hot chick is going to kick ass kind of La Femme Nikita tradition. Um, that's and Lucy's about a very different kind of power, and it's oh. about... You know what? We'll actually be talking about Lucy in the 3 by 3 Ah, good times. So, Advice, huh? Maybe, yeah. Well, what do I mean, maybe? Yes. <laughs> uh, but first, Ellie Wand, I want you to tell us, so if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm pretty sure, Kelly Wand, just real quick, are you going to go Avengers on us? What do you mean by that? Because Dingus and I both were head over heels in love with the Avengers, and you were you were a little cool on it. You weren't, you weren't as in love with it. I as like the one Hulk part. But are you going to go Avengers on us with Guardians of the Galaxy? Because I think Dingus and I, there's no hiding from each other that we're both nuts about this thing. Uh, is this? Are Do you, you want to know that before the opsis or? You know, no, I don't. Kelly Wan, what I want is because uh, what I was going to say is if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy, Kelly Wan is going to spoil it. But we all on this podcast feel that you should see it. However. I'm going to reserve whether or not that's the case with Kelly Wand. I'm going to let him gradually reveal that throughout and after the synopsis. Well, the synopsis doesn't isn't meant to reveal that. That is true. It's a self-contained thing. That is true. If you hate but it, but do you think I liked it? I don't understand how. I don't understand those seven percent. This movie is just so fucking irresistible. I mean, it's one of those things that you sit in. I don't understand who, what possible objections someone could have to this thing. Um, she never uses her powers. <laughs> But we'll get to that. First, Uh-oh. let's have a Guardians of the Galaxipsis. Jesus. How, you're a writer, and that's your best effort. Come on. That was great. I put a lot into that. 
I don't think... What would you call it, Kelly? (laughs) I would call it, if it was me saying what I'm saying, Guardians of the Galaxopsis. Okay, yours yours flows a little bit better than mine, so let's go with your... that's kind of what Tom said, actually. Wait, what did Tom say? I just performed it a little differently. Yeah, he just did a different line reading, but it was the yeah. same. He went the same Guardians way. of the Gut. I threw a little Michael Rooker in there. That's what right. do you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> <I think> you... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's out of everybody. All right, so Kelly Wand, I want you to uh, drive it like you stole it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am um, drive. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxopsis. Some words are all back when the comic for this came out. A kid sitting in a hospital with a black eye listening to his Walkman and dancing around. He saw one way or another. His grandpa comes out of a hospital room and goes, Hey, Timmy, come in here for a second. Your mom's 60 seconds from death. The kid's all, Is there any way I can see a doctor about my black eye by any chance? But his grandpa's already dragging him in. The rest of the family and all the doctors are gathered around his mom's hospital bed, not saying or doing anything. One of the doctors is all, yeah, all the other patients said to take your time, Mrs. Star-Lord, even though uh, visiting hours are over. Tom, you had a question? <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Although I did, don't think I didn't get your House of the Devil reference. Good. I would hope never got it. Oh, listen, I can hear the hospital equipment. <laughs> Only, only you can hear that. Uh, it's like a dog whistle. The mom's all. The mom's all. See, I. Uh, the mom's all. Timmy, my baldness is terminal. Also, your dad's an alien. He'll be back to abduct you soon. Although it might be another guy with blue skin and a southern accent I also had sex with. It was a strange night. All the family members stay respectfully out of the shot. She's all. Here, son. Always remember. I don't know. It's nothing. She hands him a small cassette-shaped gift with two holes in it and a bunch of unspooled tape dangling from it. He's all, wow, you've been in a hospital bed for months. When did you wrap this? But she's dead. The grandpa's all, all right, half pint, out you go. We all get to stay in the room with her, but you, and boots him back out into the hallway. The doctors throw him out into the parking lot and wipe their hands off. Dejectedly, he's all... I guess when I think of today, I'll chiefly remember is the day that my mom died. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there. An alien ship that somehow knows where he is shows up, grabs him, and flies off. His family members see it through the window, but don't care. Some words are all, for 20 years, nothing happens. In keeping with this humble Terran human origins, the kid renames himself Larry Starlord. Since he's an outlaw now, he goes to a planet that's made out of caves. Thanks to a special hat he wears that's made out of CG, his whole body can dance in any hostile environment. He celebrates his outlaw status and grieves for his mom by dancing around inside the cave and kicking some rats. I guess his Walkman batteries are still intact after 20 years and fit under his helmet. For unspecified reasons, this cave contains an unguarded magic purple piece of CG that's powerful enough to electrocute a slave girl in 60 seconds and destroy a planet if it touches the surface. Star-Lord knows he's got the right cave. <laughs> you like that part, I guess? Yeah. A little exposition. Star-Lord knows he's got the right cave, because when he's outside it, he sees some CG of a little girl walking her dog. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot the, the, the little uh, dogs and whatnot. That was great. 
It was Cosmo. Spoiler alert. He craftily obtains the purple thing by picking it up off the ground. Then he dances around some more. I would have liked a shot of his mom as a ghost watching his actions approvingly, but instead a black dude with contact lenses shows up. He's kind of like Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man, but dumb. The black dude's all, Give us that CG or we'll wait for you to trick us! Right. Wow. What's the black voice? That's how they sound. I love that. I have a black friend. He, that's how, he told me to... Star-Lord's all, My name's Star-Lord. The Zeus. He tricks them by running away using magic boots he didn't use to fly to the cave. After the black guy's ninth double take, Star-Lord runs into his ship and flies away while they all take turns shaking their fists. Then he makes the mistake of laughing, which makes a giant underground bidet spray his ship. It can handle any hazards the universe has to offer, except for mild bursts of water. But eventually, he reaches for the fly ship out of geyser switch and flies away again. An alien chick falls out of his gas tank into his arms. He's all, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot we had sex, and then I left you in my ship while I went into that cave to dance. The music's all, whatever her reaction is, it's not pertinent. Some words are all. <laughs> I might have dreamed some of this. Some words are all, meanwhile, in this place, there's a spaceship of aliens called Kree because they're blue. They're ruled by a guy wearing an Egyptian turban, although his name's Ronan. He's all, this is for not getting hit by my hammer sooner. And brutally hammers a POW from a planet called Xandar. A chocolate... <laughs> I guess they're at war. Or that's the beginning. Of I'm so happy to hear you say these names. This makes me so happy. Xandar. Number one movie. Behind Lucy. According to Tom, <laughs> the chocolate-colored PG-13 blood trickles down into cracks in the floor until it makes a bunch of gears move and Thanos' face appears on a screen. Thanos saw, ah, oh, Ronan. Incidentally, there's this thing called Skype. <laughs> Ronan's all, Princess Thanos, my humble apologies for interrupting your endless contemplation of some asteroids. How wistfully I yearn to conduct such displays of might. Thanos is all. See that same voice, so I have to remind you. And the same character. Thanos is all. As you can see, patience is not in my vocabulary. Why do you call me using the blood phone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sit. Ronan's all. Uh, that purple CG you wanted was snaked by a guy with a Walkman. Thanos is all, idiot, how is such failure possible? Well, he had jetpack socks, uh, my black man was unprepared. Thanos is all, fucking idiots. <laughs> Send a lissom young girl to hurl CG at him, and be sure she's beautiful. Since he's handsome, I see nothing that can go wrong. <laughs> so he Saldana walks on screen and goes, I'm green in this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they sound to me. Black girls. That's how they sound. It's not racist. Uh, A blue chick scowls at her. Sidebar. I lean over to Green Lantern sitting beside me. (laughs) Wonder if the Zoe Saldana character's carpet matches the drapes. He's all... uh, Her hair's brunette. It's just her skin color. (laughs) I roll my eyes. Stupid Orange County. Since I arrived late, I'm sitting between him and Ant-Man. <laughs> Back row. Star-Lord's sad. 
His mom's dead. Now he's all alone in a universe full of crazy aliens. What can any Terran ever have in common with a creature who looks and talks like John C. Riley? <sighs> what do you? It's so foreign. Not like he can use his ship to fly back to Earth. Just get an iPod. That'd take hours. He works for Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, whom, despite a Missouri accent, is also blue. He reminds Starler that he abducted him from Earth as a kid for no reason and then saved him from guys that like to eat kids. Seems like a dumb demographic to bring on that errand. <laughs> Leave the carnivores at home for that mission. Be my advice to abductors. Star-Lord hangs up on him in what will be the first of many aborted phone conversations throughout the <laughs> Star-Lord takes his purple CG to his fence on Xandar. <laughs> Dingus. The planet Xandar. The Xandar. Not the, uh, not the abandoned planet. But no. Other planet. Not the cave planet that has no name. No, it has a name. It's, I think it was something like Morgul. Or... Yeah, it's Morgul. Whatever. It's the, it's Whatever. the abandoned planet Moraga. All right, All right so yeah, yeah. Next, go back and uh, get those batons picked up. <laughs> Star-Lord's fence is red. Wait. Star-Lord takes his purple CG to his fence on Xandar. This guy's red. Star-Lord's all, hey, can I get three bucks for this CG I know nothing about? When researching which cave planet to retrieve something mysterious, I try not to look into their pedigree or function. The red guy saw, You brought CG here? <laughs> that a Japanese space pharaoh once used to destroy my world? <sighs> I gotta guarantee my safety and let you leave with it. I said good day, sir. So he sold in and two other rival bounty hunters, a retarded tree and a rabid raccoon, decide to accost Star-Lord in broad daylight in a crowded public square. They fail to kill each other or get the CG and all get arrested. I guess the cops find the CG on Star-Lord, but don't confiscate it, because that would end the movie. When they arrive at Xandar's prison, conveniently located across the galaxy, all the inmates throw garbage at Zoe Saldana, just like real inmates would if they found out Zoe Saldana was about to start taking daily showers with them for the rest of their lives. I lean over to Green Lantern and stage whisper, Wouldn't mind seeing her make out with She-Hulk. Green Lantern ignores me, probably because some of my underwear has yellow on it. Instead, he makes a life-size green CG version of himself that bends over me and goes, shh. Since I'm feeling unwelcome, eh, fuck that part. <laughs> the tree's name is Root. He points this out a lot. In fact, it's the only thing he points out. That that voiceover session was a scream. Since the raccoon likes firearms, he's named after a primitive mode of space transportation. They all bust out of prison by turning some windows and PA speakers into a spaceship. Luckily, they don't have to worry about food or the cracks in the windows. Oh yeah, they also bring along a second retarded strongman in case their plant guy loses interest. He wants to kill Zoe Saldana because he had a family. Like Adam Driver on Girls, he doesn't like shirts. Since he's a simple... <laughs> he talks like Richard III. They go to a place... The tree guy loves cockfights, so they go to one, but the raccoon has a meltdown for unspecified reasons and stands in the middle of the cockfight arena going, I didn't ask to be born. All the killers nod gravely and tear up. Cockfight attendees are soft touches when it comes to little creatures in distress. The shirtless guy gets bored and calls Ronan to come kill them. He's the Galifianakis of the group. <laughs> 
Ronan's fleet comes, I guess is one ship, and blows up the planet. So they pull the shirtless guy out of the under-the-skin pool and fly to Antonio Banderas, a collector of exotic curiosities from around the universe. His name? The Collector. His parents just had a feeling. (laughs) Although nobody asks him for details, Antonio Banderas gives a PowerPoint presentation on the purple CG's origins, although the upshot's just that it blows shit up and turns your eyes purple. Also, if it touches the planet, the planet instantly blows up, unless it's a cave one with rats or wherever the Collector lives. Despite his millions of priceless, dangerous artifacts, the Collector's security is even worse than the prisons, especially with respect to glass cases and slave girl quality control. He has two, by the way. Um, <clears throat> I take it the other one died, because we never see her again, huh? She probably got blown up, yeah, you yeah. think. Too bad they weren't in those glass cases to presume. Ronan gets the CG and turns powerful by squeezing it, but doesn't head right to Xandar to blow it up, because there's still 20 minutes of movie left. Although, when it comes to working together, the Guardians of the Galaxy are now 0 for 12. They agree to stick together once Star-Lord says he has 12% of a suicide mission figured out. Then he turns to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, whom the shirtless guy also called, and goes, Hey man, do you and your hard-bitten crew want to help us keep Purple CG from touching a planet? He's all, yes. (laughs) Behind him, all his cutthroats nod gravely and tear up. One's all, I was at that cockfight this morning. Pretty sure that Star-Lord's plan's still at 12% when they execute it. (laughs) The cops weave yellow triangles around Ronin's ship while Star-Lord heads inside with a weapon the raccoons slap together out of some towels and an egg carton back in space prison. The second they get aboard, much like in The Purge, Star-Lord's all, Uh, I can't see shit. He trips over himself and sprains his handsomeness. The tree guy makes these yellow balls of E. CG out of his branches. The music's all, dude. <laughs> Star-Lord's all, oh yeah, I brought these flashlights, but no one's interested. <laughs> Back down on Xandar, Henry Portrait of Serial Killers in a field alone for some reason. I nudge Green Lantern and stage whisper, I guess his crew's on launch break. But he doesn't hear me because he's busy whispering the same thing to Flash. Who can speed talk, Paul? A bunch of Ronin's pet mummies park in a circle around Henry. One's all, Ugh! Do you have the CG on you, by the way? Henry whistles and smiles ominously while his sharp stick floats around. The mummy's all, Ugh, that's just normal whistling, I hope. Guys, should we join in? Hey, stop killing us! With the- no, wait, I'm startled, hang on! Ugh. I guess they didn't think he had a weapon on him. Star-Lord's plan fails by 88%, so while all the extras of Xandar stand around and say nothing, he jumps into a crater and takes on Ronan with singing. Since it's the end of the movie, this makes Xandar fall unconscious. Wait, Ronan? (laughs) (laughs) Which one's the guy? Unconscious planet. John C. Riley steps forward with a box of medals and starts handing them out. (laughs) He's all, Guardians of whatever galaxy this is. Thank you for helping our enemy's flagship crash into every building in the city. The extras standing around in the background don't say anything. John C. Riley's all. Also, since I have a family, the rest of the police department just spent the last ten minutes making you a spaceship that looks just like your old one. Please don't do anything illegal with it. It'll be hard to justify that expense when our budget comes out next quarter. The raccoon's all. What about using a purple stone to blow up your planet? John C. Riley's all, uh, that's illegal. Uh. 
some spinning newspaper words are all Guardians of Galaxy declared saviors of city. <laughs> Ronan receives honorable mention. They get out of the ship and fly nowhere since it's the end of the movie. Just burning up some fun fuel. Star-Lord's all, oh yeah, this thing, and opens his mom's present finally after 30 years. It's a cassette tape. Honest his mom wrote, fucking kick-ass sick tunes to get laid to, bitches. <laughs> Moms don't make mixtapes. P.S. Your dad's name is something. <laughs> Through the viewport, the galaxy tears up. Some credits scroll by. One of them's an Easter egg designer, so I stick around. After the credits, Antonio Banderas has a bandage on his head, because that's how aliens recuperate from explosions that destroy worlds. A dog wearing a spacesuit lifts its leg. Scrooge McDuck's all, you fired! Green Lantern turns to me and goes, I guess green's a feminine color? Tell you what, was that sound effect a spaceship taking off? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. It's supposed to be people booing. I thought it was a oh. like, gigantic bong being sucked into. Yeah, all right. I'm not sure that I read. Kelly One, we'll fix that in post. Yeah. Now you just have to say the end. Oh, the end. Very good. Uh, all right. 94 million. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Damn. That's a fuckload of money. Not as much as really like America it. Winter Soldier, but you're okay. okay. How little? What's the difference? Uh, Winter Soldier, I think, I forgot, was something like. Was it 98? I think Winter Soldier broke 100 million. No, I meant what's the difference in content between the two movies? Uh, interesting. Well, they both have spaceships that crash into cities. It's true. Well, not spaceships. Sidekick. Towel. One of them I wasn't crazy about. Oh, why didn't you like Guardians of the Galaxy? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's weird? You keep saying that line and you're quoting your least favorite movie of all time. When I say how dare you, I'm quoting something? Yeah, you're quoting Martin Sheen in Amazing Spider-Man. What? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? you. No, that would be a completely different intonation. Oh, I'm sorry. I forget why he says it. He says it to you. No, they have not how dare you off. Yeah. Yeah. Then somebody puts a stake in somebody's face, which I guess should have happened at the beginning of this movie. Well, you know, uh, Portland's kid with a black eye, we don't get explained, you know, why the little kid has a black eye. You just have to figure out. We do. The, the mom explains it. Oh, she says you got she, fight. she, she says, why are you getting in a fight? And he says some kids killed a frog for no reason. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, no, very good. Very good, Dingus. Character development. Um, Kelly, one, have you read these comic books? No. But they're, they're from the 70s or the 80s or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah but then I... Well, well the characters are... The characters are, are pulled together by those two authors I mentioned from a bunch of earlier works. What? And, and sort of cobbled together into... Wait a minute. No, Dingus, you made that up. No, I'm not making it up. These guys don't hang out? Like, the whole the whole comic isn't about all these guys already hanging out, and these characters are created by different people? Yeah, I think they, they come from a bunch of different things. And then the these two particular writers, uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning... Oh, uh, those guys. ...pulled them, pulled them from... a bunch of various works and and pushed them into like this story later on to make guardians of the galaxy later okay. on. uh and was was this whole thing of uh, the, the whole time discrepancy thing where you know he's listening to all these tunes what are all these to us is that part of it 
Do we no, know? I, I, I have no idea if, any, if oh, that's soon. anything to do with it. No. Okay. Or, or where, what, who his father's supposed to be, or that whole abduction thing. No one knows. I, I don't know. That. I don't know what that is. But, but that's not part of Kelly Wan, so that's not part of the comics yet. Like that's, well, abduction's different, I was told, okay. and then Galactus's head is different. Galactus's head? Oh, that's Galactus. Yeah, no, but it, that's like, it's, it's celestial like Galactus. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just cast as sort of a, an ancient being's head. Oh, nowhere They're is supposed to be Galactus? Yeah. Oh. Well, no, 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 it's not. It's not. Oh, oh. But the dog's Cosmo, and he can talk, apparently. What dog? What dog? I saw this, like, it was, like, full of fanboys. Like, I was assuming the dog? dog was Leica, the, the dog's at the Russian like show. Cosmo. No, no, it's a guy named, dog named Cosmo who's in the comic. What dog are you talking about? The one in the Collector's Museum, and who's at the end, too. No, he's clearly got a, a, a USSR thing on his chest. The thing is, maybe he just took it from Leica. His name's Cosmo, the nerd. How can he be Cosmo? He's clearly supposed to be a Leica joke. I think James Gunn made it a Leica <sighs> joke, Kelly Wand. Oh. Sorry that James Gunn was not true to the source material. Cosmo. <laughs> Where does Cosmo come from? Dog. Well, this dog didn't How talk. How do I... This dog right. didn't talk, so... But Hulk doesn't talk, but he talks in the comics. Hulk talks all the time. That fellow's garrulous. Cosmo, dog, Marvel. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> he lives in nowhere, by the way. He's not in the collector's place. No, he is. He's like in a glass. The collector's place is no, in, in the, the comics. Nowhere. Oh, in the comics. Well, this isn't the same dog, Kelly Wong. No, it's not. If, oh, yeah. if, okay. Kelly well, Wong, you've just proved my point. Thank you. He hides in a dimensional <laughs> in his collar at one point. Uh, I think one talking animal was quite enough. Yes, thank you. No, how are the ducks? Too. Oh my god! Uh, I liked that. Now you know why I liked it because I got it. I as an Easter egg. Oh wait, how are the ducks? You're talking about who didn't who get didn't it? Who didn't get it? We we we've all been traumatized well, by George Lucas's various shenanigans, including Howard the Duck. Yeah, but the last three Easter eggs were too arcane for me. Like the one where it just shows the cosmic cube. I was like, what? Right. That's not as exciting as Thor's hammer. But Howard the Duck was like, I didn't see that coming. All right, we appreciate <laughs> that. Took me by surprise. Uh, how did the rest of the movie work for you, Kelly Wand? I really liked it. It was really funny. It was See, really, it was really charming. It was very. It was. It wanted you to like it, and it was really. I liked the action. I liked. There were only two parts I didn't like, but I really liked uh, the thing in space where he saved her. I thought that was a cool. And I liked the escape from the prison. Okay, There's sure, sure. Inventive, ingenious uh, things. Dingus has seen this movie twice. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Uh, it's good. It seemed like it seems like a fun for all kind of movie. But Chris Pratt's really, he was pretty amusing. He said a lot of good shit. He has really good delivery. He's the new Bob Newhart. As, he's, a, he's a TV actor, right? Uh, yeah, he was on... <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> he's so not a TV actor, though. He was so good in this. Uh, and apparently, like he he's not like a super trim, uh, like his shirtless scene, that's not what he's normally like, right? Yeah, he started as a... But I think every chick is hot for him in RL. Like, I think he's the new it boy. I think he's kind of cut. You didn't think so? No, he, he's in great. He's in great shape, and he's charming, and he's funny. And uh, I completely bought that he was uh, wearing down Zoe Saldana's resistance. Yeah. You know, there was their relationship was great. Um, uh, yeah, no, I thought he was amazing, and it made me actually. Message. Go ahead. I was just quoting him affectionately. I thought you would. 
I thought it was amazing, and it made me want to see uh, Jurassic World. It's the only thing I know about the Jurassic Park movie that makes me want to see it. I want to see Chris Pratt do more stuff. Uh, I loved him in this. Wait, but Spielberg's not making Jurassic World, though, right? He's handing it off. Uh, No, no, he's not. I forget who's doing it. Uh, Someone that didn't make me want to see it. It's probably Brett Ratner. How do you feel about that? uh, Unsurprised. Uh, Did you know Chris Pratt before? From her and Dingus, wasn't there one thing where he came up? Uh, well, the the thing I know him from is Parks and Rec, of course. Right, but I think oh I yeah, I gotta watch that. I thought Everyone's I saw him on seasons bad, and then it gets really good. You thought you saw him what? I thought I saw him on something else, but I think I only knew him. He has a little supporting role in in her. Um, yeah, he's he's great in her. He's really good, but he's also just really really funny in Parks and Rec, which is uh, a show. I mean, I don't really care much for sitcoms, but. I really, really like Parks and Rec, and he's hilarious in it. And one of the things I was nervous about, just, you know, I don't watch trailers. Everybody knows this. Um, but looking at the posters, it just looked like they were making him look like this just tough, like, oh, he's just going to be a tough action hero. And I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that. But it, but his, it, the movie totally, James Gunn totally gets his sensibility, obviously. Yeah. And hearing James Gunn talk about casting him, it's clear, and I should have known better. I mean, James Gunn has such a great sense of humor uh, that he understood how to use uh, not only Chris Pratt's sense of humor, but Chris Pat. Chris Pratt's musical sensibility because in Parks and Rec he plays guitar he's the leader of a band he does <laughs> he does all this like songwriting stuff he does it for kids he does it for adults he, he, I mean there's that's a great through line of the show and and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy James Gunn totally gets that and that's one of the great things about the character and and I mean I mean I, I just I'm I couldn't be happier for the fact that Chris Pratt works in this and and he looks great I mean wh- you know. I know I'm, when he showed up, he, he he was overweight for another role, and they're like, "Well, you have to lose a bunch of weight," and he did it. Uh, in that shirtless scene, he looks totally great, but he still has this sort of a little bit of a doughy look on his face, which is perfect for the character. The, yeah, the guy is perfect for this part. Yeah, his delivery is really good. He, oh, go on. Well, I think a lot of what it comes down to, and I don't understand the source material. I wouldn't know, like, I, I yeah. don't know what sort Star-Lord is supposed to be, but whatever he's supposed to be, Chris Bratt, Pratt and James Gunn totally made this Chris Pratt's part. And I feel not only that, it's just James Gunn it seems just, like, so completely self-aware in the same way that Joss Whedon was in Avengers yeah. uh, with all of his characters and how to make them relate and how to weave them together with a consistent tone and a, a distinct aesthetic – um, it, it just had that same skilled craftsmanship that I think Whedon showed in, in the Avengers. Uh, and I, you know, I love Super, his last movie, for how subversive it is. Uh, but I'm not sure I would have been able to guess that James Gunn could do something this, this big. Light, too. And this light, yeah. I mean, Super is, is, it's got some really heavy, yeah. grim stuff in it. And it's a very dark movie. And it's but, weird jokes, if they're even jokes. Exactly, weird jokes. But the sense of humor in this is really accessible mm-hmm. and it's, and it's gentle and affectionate. Um, it, it's such a, in a way, it's such a kind movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know these characters, but I really got the sense that it was a labor of love. Yeah, definitely. It's also generous, and I'm glad that you brought up the Avengers in that way, because one of the things that that shocked me about the Avengers was how, um, and I I think Kelly Wand uh, disagreed with me on this, uh, but one of the things I loved about the Avengers is that every 
every character, every major character gets gets his or her moment. You get you definitely get the feeling that they each get their moment, and the movie doesn't drag because of that. And I definitely got that feeling here too. That James Gunn understands I need to give each character a moment and be able to still let them all sort of mesh like gears, and that works perfectly here in the in in the similar way to the way it works in the Avengers, which surprised me. Yeah, and and the moments too are are such a graceful blend of of seriousness and kind of like what the fuck kind of weirdness yeah. uh, and and humor. You know, I I love climactic sequences where uh, heroes are like like immolating or being disintegrated. I I know that the the third X Man is a bad movie, but I just love this idea of the Wolverine or Wolverine. Do you put that before him? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackman having to like struggle through this Jean Grey-inspired cyclone of death or whatever the hell's going on in that thing, and he has to, uh, you know, it's basically killing him to get up there and kill her. And it, it, there's something operatic about that. At the end of the Ring Cycle, actually, uh, you know, the characters ride into a funeral pyre, and I love that kind of climactic moment. And that was great here. I loved how grim that was and how serious it was. But then, you, and you see when. Uh, Chris Pratt reaches out to take uh, uh, Gamora's hand, you know, that he then ties in his mother's death to that, Mm -hmm. and that it's this serious moment, and it's this climactic, you know, moment of self-sacrifice, and then we have a cut to the little raccoon hand reaching out. Oh my god, that was was such a great combination of of touching, and funny, and, and operatic. Uh, And the movie is so deft with those kind of different levels. Yeah. And right before that, you have um, you have Drax putting his hand on uh, his shoulder, which he has to do because he can't grab his hand with the stone in it. But everybody through the movie has been putting their hand on Drax's shoulder at some point or another. They, they, you just see a lot of like moments with with Gamora like having her hand on his shoulder to hold him back, and then and then it, there's just this lot of this like hand on his shoulder. shoulder kind of thing. And I just love that. I love that he oh. grabs. He grabs uh, Peter's shoulder instead of grabbing his hand. <laughs> oh, right, he's shoulder centric because he's not wearing the shirt. I, and I love that. I mean, even you, you see a big fellow like Dave Bautista, and I recognized him from that Man with the Iron Fist movie that we saw, where Kelly Wan kept calling him Bronze Body. Uh, he played a character <laughs> named Brass Body in that, and he was somewhat in, in Riddick, who I don't remember distinctly, but he was in the Riddick movie. But I, I loved what he was doing too. Mm-hmm. Um, his last line of it were the with the horror thing. Don't yeah, about, right. That was great. That was a great. And that's another. Record. Yeah, that's a, yeah. just another little great comic touch and uh, irksome. Yeah, I like how he talks. And I confess, the first time I watched this because I I did have to see it twice um, because I had heard and because of James Gunn's uh, reputation, mainly because of Super and other things I've seen. And other things I'd heard, I felt like I should go see this before I bring my nine-year-old to it. I should see it first, just to preview it. Because uh, I'd heard it was super violent and really terrible really? language. Yeah, I heard it was the most... I definitely... definitely oh, well, no, I'd heard it was the most violent Marvel movie yet. The language is no. really, really, really intense. Uh, and so I went to see it first, just to preview it, because you know, my kid was super excited to see it, but I can't take him to see something that's going to really... If that's going to be that bad. I mean, PG thirteen has such a weird spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I went to watch it alone. It was kind of a crappy audience. It was early in the morning, I was, and, and so I didn't really get that whole 
that whole idea of everything that Dave Batista was doing and that he, he's from a, <laughs> from this race of people who take everything literally. So I didn't understand all of the line ratings he was doing. It was weird. I missed some of that. Oh. So seeing it a seven, a second time with, uh, with, uh, with, you know, with my son and my dad and with Tom, it was just so much fun to, Oh, I, I get the joke now. It was weird to see it the second time and really get what he was doing. Cause he's, he's really doing, he's really kind of like hanging himself out there with a yeah. lot of those line readings. And I really appreciate the fact that he was doing that. I mean, that do not call me up the source. I mean, he's just, he's, <laughs> Nothing he's goes over his head dingus. Yeah. Cause he's got <laughs> these great reflexes, but he's, I mean, it's kind of a risky performance. He's, he's laying himself out there as, as this guy who probably, I, I guess he was an MMA fighter or a wrestler or whatever. I mean, you could just look at those as stony line readings, but he's, it's, it's a risky performance. And I like that James Gunn got it out of him. Well, and there is like, I, I would contrast this with, uh, with what Dwayne Johnson can do so, so well. You know, he's, he's really, he's a big, huge, physically imposing guy and his physicality, by the way, both him and Zoe Saldana, by the way, their physicality in this movie, yeah. hugely, a, a big part of why the action is so good in this. But uh, he's got just such this sort of gentleness to him and playfulness that I really missed when we saw Hercules. I mean, I enjoyed Hercules, but it's nowhere near to, you know, this completely is, you know, this is what I want when I see Dwayne Johnson acting. The stuff that Dave Bautista was doing is sort of having this sense of humor, having this warmth, and just this amazing ass-kicking physicality. Right. Um, this was the best Dwayne Johnson performance I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. See, he wouldn't do a performance like this, though, because this guy's like the sidekick, sidekick. And so Dwayne Johnson's now this big movie star type. No, he's doing the G.I. Joe. He's doing the, the ensemble bits in, like, G.I. Joe and um, mm. and Fast Five. And What are you talking about? Oh, I just don't – I'm trying to think of – I mean, he was an ensemble in Hercules. I mean, Hercules, he was sort of the yeah, leader of an ensemble script. It's, um, it's like Ian McShane gets all the good lines in Hercules. Right, right. And the, con- the contrast is different there. I mean, you you get this great that, that prison that whole prison thing where where Zoe Saldana is just totally kicking ass, and he and uh, and Dave Bautista is kicking ass, and then there's this one like <laughs> this single shot of Chris Pratt <laughs> leaning against a wall talking to the guy with the left. yeah the comic that and that by the way that's James Gunn he's brilliant the yeah. comic timing too of Rocket Raccoon talking about the plan uh-huh. while we see Groot in the background fussing with the battery <laughs> yeah. That's just that's brilliant comedy, and I mean yeah. that's what James Gunn knows how to do. So. I thought you were I thought you were anti James Gunn because well, I'm not. In, yeah, Slither. I'm, I mean I, I I'm not I'm a, a Slither apologist. Well, I'm not a trauma guy. Like I think a lot of the trauma stuff is just kind of weird and icky to me, and maybe I should give it more of a chance, mm-hmm. especially since I responded so much to Super and and to this. Yeah, Although, this isn't really. I mean, would you do you see any commonality between this and trauma stuff though? No, this is a big studio movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it somehow gets away with – it doesn't feel like a big studio. Well, There's I will – personality in it. Yeah, exactly. There's way more yeah, – like we talk yeah. about studio movies being product. This is – it's got personality. It's got spirit. I love – by the way, this, the woman who co-wrote the script with James Gunn, she has no other credits. And I don't know what the story is there, but whatever chance they took on her, wherever they found her, I think she was just a fiction writer. Uh, what a great script they put together. Yeah. Um, huh. Uh, Wait, I wonder who so anyway, I was. He, James Gunn has been very careful about that. By the way, I mean he 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 came in, he he campaigned to get the part. I mean the part to to be able to direct. <laughs> uh, he he went to I don't know how you say Kevin Kevin Feige Feige Feige's name. Feige, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, he campaigned to get the part with him. He 
basically auditioned as a director. And then he talks about, you know, looking at the at the script, saying it, it didn't quite work with with what he saw. But he's been, I think, pretty careful not to discount the work that she did on it. But he did then his own script. Oh, but, they were basically like she's credited because it was her draft, and then he sort of took it from there. Is it that? Yeah, the, yeah. Okay. My understanding is that it was it was this script. He looked at it. Um, he went away and he said, and then he just had this moment where he's like, oh, I see, I see this. I see the movie that I want to make. Uh, now I'm going to take a pass at it. But, uh, but he's been careful not to, I mean, and I've heard a couple of, I've heard him in a couple of interviews where, where like somebody's like, oh, well, she just wrote a piece of crap. And, and he doesn't take the bait on that ever. I think he's been very careful to, uh, to give her credit where credit is due, right, I right. Mean, but I don't. I don't know what you know, where she came from or anything like that. Well, it is. I mean, it, it like like Kelly Wan said, it doesn't feel like a studio movie, and there's yeah, so yeah. much personality in it. And it reminds me, you know, Marvel and or Kevin Feige, whoever over there is doing this, to give movies like this to James Gunn, to give the third Iron Man to Shane Black. I mean, giving these things to directors with, with distinct voices and distinct perspectives, I just think is an incredibly smart thing to do. He yeah. says that. Nicole Perlman's script was way different, and it was all him. And like right. her, her drafts didn't work, so he's he wants credit for the script. Well, I'll give it to both of them because both their names are on it, so there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about how well does it work to have a CG character like Rocket Raccoon. I love that guy. I loved looking at him. I loved what he was all about. Uh, the only part I didn't like is when he was uh, tearing up on the casino table. Because he didn't seem drunk enough to me. <laughs> this is a PG thirteen movie, Kelly Wan. You can well, only be, you can only be so drunk in a PG thirteen. movie. What do we get out of that scene? Nothing. <laughs> well, I guess we get his origin, which is a little interesting to me. Well, you get this sense of vulnerability with him. You know that he's not just cantankerous, and uh, you know you, you sort of. Uh, it's the same thing you got he's, out he's of. Not just a wisecracking character, and you get that early on. I mean, I don't like my heroes crying in the first movie. <laughs> All right. Well, also the scene, you know, it's the classic take on the scene where you see the hero changing his shirt and he's got these terrible scars. You know, and Chris Pratt sees yeah, those, yeah. those weird little metal connections on his back. I loved that moment. Um, and, and I... Yeah, I like that part. Too. I kind of liked it. First, I was like, well, why doesn't Bradley Cooper just talk like Bradley Cooper? But I kind of liked that he seemed to be doing something different with his voice. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah if he had just talked with like himself, we would have gone, oh, it's Bradley Cooper. Right, right. Um no, I think he does a great thing with the voice. And I yeah, no, he does. Character so much. He sounded raccoony. Also, I just I think the animation of that character. Or I, you know, I don't know quite how they constructed the character, but I think it's great. I mean, I, I think that he looks great. I think that they do a lot of great things with his face and with you know, as weird as it sounds, like moisture. Like you know, at certain times when he's snarling, you see like a little drool coming out, or just or the the wetness of his eyes. I think yep. it's perfectly constructed, and I love the I love the voice work. I think he's a great character, and I hate to bang on this drum again and i won't hit it hard and i know you guys disagree with me but as someone who wasn't really moved by all the cg in the last planet of the apes movie rocket raccoon totally worked for me uh because he was like a real raccoon and i know in planet of the apes are doing real apes and stuff but in one of the moments where it so worked for me there are a couple of them but specifically when dave uh, when um drax said when drax yes, sits drax. down after groot has sacrificed himself and <laughs> pets him on the head yeah. That was so adorable. And just, I was like, okay, well, this is tricky. We're going to have a real actor interacting with CG fur. 
you know, that's what's going on in the back of my head as I'm watching it. But nothing, like nothing, looked weird or out of place for me. Or patronizing. Because was... I think they were just making him look like a real raccoon. It, I think in the comics, because in that game I mentioned Marvel Heroes, he looks kind of like a stylized, cartoony raccoon with a big old head. Um, no. But here, just to make him an actual raccoon, totally worked. Um, yeah, they could have made him human sized, or they could have like given like, him some weird, exaggerated look. Or but right. he's just a regular raccoon, which. Raccoons, I think, are gorgeous. Uh, so that's right off the bat, wise decision there. And I, I love that moment because of the way his body move, reacts to uh, being comforted by a friend. At first, it's like, you're, are you treating me like an animal? And then it's like, oh, you're comforting me. And then you even see his tail kind of relax. I mean, there's, there's this whole great thing that happens with him. I mean, I love that character so much. He's so, he's so well-balanced. This this movie overall is so well balanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there too much CG? Uh, Kelly Wan's yeah. normally our CG hater, yeah, Kelly Wan. Yeah, I didn't feel that way. I didn't see it in three D, so it was less of a. Visu- I was really just drawn in by the characters and the story and what was going on, but I, I did like the visuals too. It um, is so character centric, yeah. Um, and whenever there was CG that was supposed to blow my mind, it, it usually was really cool. Like when he. When this, when the fleet shows up, or when Michael Rooker's guys show up, and mm-hmm. he's he's given her the hat, I really loved that shot. Like he, like they thought they were there to. I don't know. It's just good composition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have no complaints with this movie, really. Um, how did you guys feel about the fighting? Uh, like the the action and the, and the close up fighting kind of stuff. Like I would have wanted to see Rocket Raccoon actually kill some people <laughs> if he's. Doesn't he? Well, I'm thinking, surely he did. Not the way I was hoping. He, okay. I thought he would get to, get to do, he would turn the hammer. I did notice that Chris Pratt's uh, gun just shocks and incapacitates yeah. people. And I was thinking, well, oh, that's a PG-13 thing. But I, I got the sense that Rocket Raccoon was using some pretty, uh, his arsenal was pretty lethal. I never got the sense he was just shocking people. But you're right, Kelly Wan, they're not explicit about that. Yeah, so... I would. More, I tried to like. I mean, when I'm usually enjoying a movie enough, I try to like fill in, like paper over the blemishes as I go if I can. <laughs> like try to tune it out, <laughs> like scratches out a CD or something. Well, it really does. Uh, and this is again another thing where I mentioned that in Hercules, which is mostly a lighthearted movie, I really kind of felt betrayed that they went ahead and killed the character at the end. I was like, no, you shouldn't have done that. I mean, this movie really does want to not be dark and grim. Uh, and, and, and I never felt like it was cheesing out because of that. For instance, when they go into the prison, there's the one really scary guy with the teeth who has a knife, uh, you know, and he's going to stab uh, Zoe Saldana. Um, and he's the guy who gets the knife taken away from him and who's like, I, I really liked that knife. You know, and, and they do a reversal where here's this grim, scary character and they completely defang him by the time it's over. And I, I feel for the most part that it it never wanted to be dark and grim. And when it did, it did it dispassionately enough. Like, for instance, didn't all the, the guys on Xandar, all the defenders in those fighter ships doing those nets, that, that net thing, all those guys got killed, right? Oh, yeah, that that, yeah. that main English guy who's like, I have to right, take right. orders from a hamster. And I think, yeah. He has a death scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter Serafinowicz or something. Like, I know that actor. Uh, yeah. But I think the implication, and it's kind of a holy shit moment because the rest of the movie hasn't done this way. Like, they kill these really cool characters, and they're all, right. you know, it's in military service, and it's a noble sacrifice. But the movie, like, it's okay, now we're going to show you something grim. 
Uh, and I kind of felt like it earned and really understood the stakes and it wasn't casual with wanting, when, with when it wanted to do dark things. Right. Um, and you even get this, this is, there's this great moment. You don't only see like the, the edge of the ship breaking into that guy's ship, but you see a ro- rocket going, just hold on for a couple yeah. seconds. And then he realizes they've died. Um, and, and you see the reaction that, that is in, when rockets in his ship that all of these guys are dying well and you know what reminds me i mean i think this is kind of a relic of 70s cinema but i always found it disturbing in star wars when the guy is they're the cockpit shots and it's just the world war ii type footage of a dogfight, and you know red five is flying around and red three is flying around and I, I don't think it's porkins but there's one guy who's like i can hold it together i can hold it together and his cockpit blows up while the camera's in there with him and i always thought that was a really grim moment in star wars yeah. is to go from these cool ships flying around and blowing up to a close-up shot of a pilot frantically realizing his ship is going to blow up and then he dies and that was kind of the same kind of thing there uh with with the ending in um guardians of the galaxy like that's grim stuff to me yeah yeah. there's a flashback to where princess leia is standing there with the guys you know who are all monitoring what's going on and they realize oh failed us oh right 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 Yeah. yeah and there's that sort of somber moment but for for rocket He's going to do something about it, but there's this, this also this great little moment for the character where he's just like, yeah. I was just assuring that guy that we were going to protect the planet, and now he's gone. Yeah, I mean, it's just a little touch. And there's so many little touches like that in this movie. Uh, how did we feel about – oh, oh, and another CG sequence that, God, I loved. At this point, I was like, okay, whatever CG you want to do, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Groot <laughs> protecting Rocket Raccoon when the, the purple gem blows up. Uh, you know, Groot cradling him and jumping yeah. from the explosion. Uh, that was so moving. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that scene. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. How do we feel about putting Lee Pace and Karen Gillan after all that makeup? <laughs> it, was really, it was really hard for me because I've seen Lee Pace in so many things. <laughs> it was really hard for me to watch him sort of gravel him. I, I mean, I, I bought them the makeup. I bought what kind of what, but it, it was really hard for me just not to see Lee Pace. It was really weird. I, I, I didn't see him because I didn't realize that was him until after it was over. I saw his name in the credits. I was like, oh, cool, Lee Pace. And then again, didn't realize because I guess of all the makeup. And I don't think I've seen Lee Pace like try to play a heavy like that. I don't think. No, I, I can't imagine. I can't remember when I did, but he's just got such a weird light, a great lightness to him that it was really, it's such a weird choice. I couldn't. I couldn't well, quite wrap my mind around it. I feel the payoff for that is the uh, the what are you doing yes, moment that yes. he has with Chris yes. Pratt. Uh, that, that right must there, have been the uh, the audition is exactly. Uh, all that's you have to like, do is say, "What are you doing?" Yeah, all you got to do is just like, yell and be foreboding and be super tough. But we need you to break at one point and just give us a naturalistic "What are you doing?" moment. Uh, and that right there is like, okay, that's why they got Lee Pace and not just some guy with some baso profundo voice. Okay, that's a, that's a very good point, Tom. Actually, <laughs> uh, and and even uh, you know, I don't I don't know about Karen Gillan, but uh, that was a little shocking too. It's you know. Beautiful Irish redheaded woman, and they stick her under all that blue makeup and uh, and, and CG robot stuff. Oh. Well, the only part of the woman you need never needs makeup. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, beat upon everybody. I just. 
Was that I understand. But you can't help yourself, Kelly Wan. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned let's... women and makeup. What am I supposed to do? I'm not made of stone. Only wood. And plus, I, I could I could chat all night about how much I love this. Movie. Yeah, yeah me too. it's getting boring. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because there's no like, was did, did anything suck about it? I didn't like the stupid CG mask. I was like, you know what? Just give him a mask he can ah, take on. It's got to look like what the thing in the comic book does. Whatever that is. Oh, comic book does that? I just thought they Assuming. were showing off CG. Okay. What, is space helmet? Yeah, I was like, don't have a helmet. You have to press a button. To it's an Iron Man gimmick. Don't Just have him take his helmet on and off. What the heck? No, it's the future. That, no, that's we didn't my really talk about I, the music. Did the music work for you, Tom? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Stuff, you know, I mean, Small that's music. One of the awesome things about being a man of a certain age, and I think we can all agree on this, is that certain music has a certain resonance with you that you don't build up until you get to be older. And I feel that's true for James Gunn in a lot of these songs, and it's probably true for us as well. So, yeah, yeah, I loved what they did with music. You know, Cherry Blossom for the planning montage? Yeah. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not Cherry Blossom. Cherry. Oh, Cherry Bomb. Cherry Blossom. Cherry Blossom. Oh, right, right. Cherry Bomb. Yeah, that was pretty good. See, it's like the mom knew. But you know what? Actually, there's one thing I didn't like, is I would have liked at least a fake backstory or something about why he was taken, why he was abducted. Oh, I love not Michael knowing Hooker. that. I'm so yeah. excited not to Well, they didn't that. ask, like, wait, why'd you guys just grab me? Like, did, was that Michael Rooker's shit? I bet he that. asked all the time, and they constantly fucked with him. <laughs> so it's like the Joker's scar where you never get the same story twice. Kelly, well, that can be not knowing can be j sometimes better than knowing. What do you think of that? The more you not know. That's my advice to you, Kelly Wand. How dare you? Speaking I... of. <laughs> oh, 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 I see what you did there. Did you Kelly like Wand... this topic? Did it grow on you because you sounded really de just depressed about it? Well, it's off. Well, why don't you tell folks what the topic is and then we'll get into the it. The topic is. Oh, I forgot. What is it? Three best uses of advice. Three best bits of advice in movies that we saw. Wow. Or other people. Kelly, yeah. I can think of very few movies that don't contain someone giving someone else advice, or or something that you could constitute as such that you could. Yeah, but the ones that stick out in your mind. All right, fair enough. Well, Did I found there's there's like good topics, but then you go, wait, there's only three that's ever happened. <laughs> like that shrinking movies. Yeah. Uh, save that. Save that. Put mm, that. Yeah. Bank that, Kelly Wand. All right. It's three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I did like it. I, I came up with some stuff that I'm. I'm uh, eager to talk about. Um, and since I'm introducing next week's topic, I'll be going first. <laughs> well put. Uh, here's the advice. I actually, let me see. Did I do this for all of them? Yes, here's the advice. Oh. I'll give you the advice. Did what, did all of us do this, by the way? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I have an exciting theme that I'm, I'm going to tell you later. Uh, okay, good. We'll hold that thought. Here's the advice. I think I've mentioned this on the 3x3 three three before. A person's body is his temple. This body is your first and last possession, and as your own parents have probably told you, in adolescence, our bodies tend to betray us. And that's why in Samoa and other developing nations, adolescents are sent out into the woods unarmed, and they don't come back until they've learned a thing or two. Do you understand? What's the advice? <laughs> don't leave after a day. The advice is this movie... Uh, yes, it's Ice Storm, and yeah. so much of Ice Storm is about parents' inability to connect with children. <laughs> and this is after Sigourney Weaver has found Christina Ricci. She's caught her in the bathroom fooling around with her, Sigourney Weaver's son. 
uh, and I'll show you yours. You'll show oh, you. I remember that part. The son freaks out. Sigourney Weaver comes running. What's going on? And she sees that there's some hanky-panky going on in the bathroom. And she has this speech where she's taking Christina Ricci by the shoulders. And she, as an older woman, is giving advice to – it's not her daughter, but to a younger woman. And she fails completely. Yeah. It's this gibberish about children in, in Samoa sent out unarmed into the woods. Um, so your theme is bad advice. No, no, no. This is just – I love that so much of the ice storm is about adults being unable to connect with children. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a it's huge part delusion. of and, – and I just feel that this is a great example of that. There's another example, which is way more benevolent, where Kevin Klein gives a birds and bees talk to, uh, to Tobey Maguire. Um, so there's a couple of these scenes in the ice storm, but I specifically love, and Sigourney Weaver does this great thing in that moment where she realizes that what she's saying isn't making any sense. And so she'll pause and swallow and she's obviously making herself very uncomfortable and she's not sure where she's going with this. And she finally just stops talking and says, do you understand? Uh, and then the scene cuts away. Um, well, when you go, once I lean down, the words will just come, is what she's probably thinking. There is that, and that's kind of how the scene, how Ang, Ang Lee shoots the shot. Yeah, is Sigourney Weaver leaning down, talking directly to Christina Ricci. Yeah. It's weird, by the way, seeing Christina Ricci in that movie, because um, she's still like very young, kind of Tuesday age in that. But then thinking ahead to things like um, Black Snake Moan and Buffalo Wednesday, 66. Wednesday, not Tuesday. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hi, hi. I outed you as an Adams Family nerd. Yeah, I love them. Love, is is love there them. somewhere where a character's named Tuesday? In the Adams Family? Uh, Tuesday Weld. Oh, thank you, Kelly Wand. Yes. Ah, right. very nice. All right. All right, so there's my number three pick. Dingus, what's your number three pick for a favorite advice in a movie? All right, well, here's a here's a, a little bit of a quote from him. Um, you are not to tell him anything personal. Believe me. Oh, duh. What? I mean, I know what it is. No, go ahead. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. No, finish, your, finish your quote. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what it is. What do you think is, it is? Because I'm about to give the name. There's a the, character name coming. Is the person who's about to be talked to, are his initials HL? Yes. All right, give us the whole quote. Uh, you're not to tell him anything personal, believe me. You don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. See, so, see how good I am at this game? You're very uh, good at this game. Is that from Down Periscope? Yes, it Obviously. is from Down Periscope, and that's when uh, what's his name tells what's her name not to do what's his name. It's obviously from the Manhunter remake. Red Dragon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Red Dragon with your title of the actual well. book. Yeah. Uh, so this is Jack Crawford telling Clarice Starling uh, how to uh, deal with uh, Hannibal Lecter when she goes in to do the interview with him uh, to figure out what has happened uh, to the abducted girl. Uh, in Silence of the Lambs. And I just love the way they're sitting there and, and he's just telling her, uh, this is, this is what you have to do. And, and one of the difficulties I have with this topic is, is sort of sussing out the difference between advice and an order. Because he is her superior and he's basically telling her, do not tell him anything personal. But he's also just giving her advice on how to deal with this kind of psychopath. Uh, and, and, He's just like, you don't want him in your head. Don't tell him anything personal. And, of course, what she has to do is violate that because there's a quid pro quo that they have to go through where his, one of his deals is, I'll help you find this serial killer, but you have to give me personal information in order for me to do that because that's what I feed off of. Um, so she violates that advice 
you know, because she thinks that it's going to be useful for her. But I love that the movie opens with, or uh, that particular exchange is preceded by uh, uh, Jack Crawford, Scott Glenn's character, saying, uh, don't tell him anything personal. You don't want him in your head. Do you think Lecter wanted to escape just because he was sick of being next door to the masturbating guy? Migs. 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 Multiple Migs. Yeah, yeah. Why do I know that? Ew. Gross. (laughs) Because it's like, that's like the sound it makes. (laughs) It's an onomatopoeia. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, That's the other sound it makes. (laughs) Kelly Ron, what's your number three favorite example of advice in a movie? All right. My my theme is... um, all of them are advice from Einstein, because I consider him mentally underrated. So these are all things Einstein said as advice. All right. Can't wait to see where this goes. Wow. In the movie Zapped, Scatman Crothers inhales weed in the furnace by accident. It doesn't have much to do with telekinesis, this part. But he starts dreaming that he's talking to Einstein, and he goes, Mr. Einstein, I'm feeling strange. Someone's putting some shit on my mind. And then Einstein goes, sounds like too many chili dogs, Dex. Have to learn to relax. So the... (laughs) Relax. The advice is relax. So it's either... It could be either Einstein or Frankie goes to Hollywood who gave this... There's no two. <laughs> Jesus. We raised in a barn? Yep. Too many chili dogs. Einstein. Okay, you guys will never get this uh, because I actually even forgot this was in the movie. I went back and watched uh, these parts of the movie because I couldn't remember what the advice was. And not only did I not remember the ultimate advice, but I forgot who it was delivered to. But the advice is be a good boy. Oh, yeah. I remember. Really? Yeah. What's it from? Serious man. Whoa, Kelly Wand. Wow, That's an easy one. That's such an easy one. I never I know, get these either. That's I how. Know, I know that my, throughout the movie, Michael Stuhlbarg is wanting to go see uh, Rabbi. Uh, oh, dead government. Not Marchak. Marchak. Meshak. Rabbi Marchak. It ends with Ak. And it begins with mm. Marshak. Marshak. It's Marshak. Right. Fifty bucks says it's Marshak. Oh, Marshak. I even wrote it in my notes. Marshak. It's the only thing he ever says. Right. Well, so so here's the thing: is Michael Stuhlbarg is trying to get to see Rabbi Marshak, and there there are these title cards that the Coen Brothers put up: first Rabbi, second Rabbi, Rabbi Marshak. And I wanted to go back and see, you know, the the first two rabbis, their advice is either ineffectual or it doesn't help Michael Stuhlbarg. So when he finally gets to Rabbi Marshak, I remembered the scene and I wanted some more context about what. But what I'd forgotten. Michael Stuhlbarg, Larry Gopnik, does not get into Rabbi Marshak. Right, the kid does. Yeah, it's his son mm-hmm. who, after taking his vows or whatever yeah. you call it in Judaism, goes in to see Rabbi Marshak, and it's been set up that this is the ultimate guy that you go to for advice. Um, and his son, stoned, uh, uncertain, not sure what he's going to see, walks into this weird, creepy repository of knowledge and stuff, and he's clutching this <laughs> ceremonial cup he's been given. And he comes and he sits down in front of Rabbi Marshak's desk. And Rabbi Marshak, this elderly, ancient, decrepit fellow, is sitting there. Uh, he's like a Jewish Gandalf. And he opens his mouth to speak. And, and he says, he recites the first two lines of the Jefferson Airplane song, uh, Somebody to Love. But he missed 
he screws it up. He doesn't say the actual – he says when the truth is found to be lies, when all hope within you dies, now what? <laughs> that's what Rabbi Marshak says, and that's not the lines of the song. Then he recites the names of the band members. He can't remember all of them. He forgets one of the guy's last name, and, and Danny mouths it because Danny knows it. So he's basically telling Danny stuff he already knows, and then he gives Danny back the little transistor radio that he was using to listen to the song. And he gives it back to Danny, and I remember thinking, well, there's no advice. He's just telling Danny stuff he already knows, but then he says to Danny, be a good boy. Now, Kelly Wand, why do you remember that line? Because uh, it's... It was just seemed evocative. He's he's giving him, he is giving him advice. It's God, man. He's not just evocative and advice, but the Coen Brothers. When you go back looking into Coen Brothers movies for meanings or points, it can be astonishing. I remember we did a three by three on favorite courtroom scenes, and one of my favorite was in the Man Who Wasn't There. Um, Oh, Ted Gummit. Uh, Tony Shalhoub plays a lawyer who's uh, defending Billy Bob Thornton, and he uh, the, in the Coen Brothers they show the speech, the defense speech that Tony Shalhoub gives to to try to uh, defend Billy Bob Thornton from being charged with murder. And that defense speech, I love that scene, but that defense speech, the point of the movie is in that defense speech. Uh, it's like the Coen brothers have cleverly encapsulated everything the movie is saying, and they put it in that one speech, which is almost kind of played as a, as a joke. Um, but you go back and you watch the movie, you watch the courtroom scene, and that right there, in a nutshell, is the movie. When Rabbi Marshak says to Danny, be a good boy, that sets up the finale of A Serious Man, where the Coen brothers, unlike their other movies, set up... In this finale, a cause-and-effect relationship between doing the right thing and being visited by misfortune. Because what we then see is as Larry, uh, Danny's father, accepting a bribe, changing the, the grade, and then getting the phone call that he's got cancer and his son being visited by a tornado. And it's that quick. Spoiler, by the way, sorry. But it's that quick, uh-huh. and it's that cause and effect. The moment he changes the grade, the phone rings, the tornado descends from the clouds. Right. I mean, I feel that a serious man, unlike a lot of the Coen brothers' sort of winking nihilism, is a message about God basically holding you accountable to be a good person. And, you know, that's what Rabbi Marshak's advice is. Be a good boy. But he's telling the wrong person, so... It's because, I mean, there's this sense, too. Uh, Larry Gopnik, Glopnik, I can't say that. Anyway, Michael Stuhlbach's character has failed. Like, you, you, this is something that he knows, that he's already been told. As, as a Jew, you know, this is something that is, it's not news to him. He knows he's supposed to do the right thing. He, the choice is then up to him. He fails. The movie is basically telling us it's now up to his son. And this is partly a tradition of, of, of Judaism, which, or any religion with a tradition, is if, if the father screws up, it's up to the sons to, to carry the weight and do the right thing. But this doesn't have a chance because he's dead from a tornado. Why do you think he's going to be dead? Well, I thought that's what you said. Well, it, there is this sense that uh, the tradition has failed. You know, they're trying to protect the children. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get killed or not. I don't know if part of the punishment for Michael Stuhlbarg is that his son will be destroyed by a tornado. I think in successive viewings of Serious Man, I think the tornado, tornado has more to do with Old Testament traditions of God appearing as a storm yeah. or something uh, rather than doom to a child. But I don't know. 
Um, but then be a good boy. But then if he gets off scot-free, it's not – But you get the idea, though, that this is the same tradition that Michael Stuhlbarg's character has come up through. He got at some point the same advice during his confirmation. I wish I knew what the celebration was called. It's not a bar mitzvah, is it? it but at any rate, he got the same advice at some point, presumably, be a good boy, which Maybe. changes the grade, and he violates this ethical conduct that he's expected to, to, to uphold in his job. He's not being a good boy. It's not that he doesn't know he's supposed to be a good boy. Yeah, but he's also – it's his fight, though, because he's at his wit's end from all the other shit. But it's basically that Rabbi Marshak, the only thing Rabbi Marshak can tell you is what you already knew. Right. Uh, but Larry doesn't know that. He, he needs does to be know told he's yet. supposed to be a good boy. He does know that he is not supposed to accept a bribe and change a grade, I feel. And Marshak thinks – but maybe he wouldn't have if Marshak had seen him and said nope, – If Marshak had seen him, I think what we find out with the, with Danny is that he would have told him something he already knew, just like he tells Danny what he already knows. Mm. Kelly Wand, you're not Jewish. You don't know. Yeah, but I'm just assuming his advice is different for every kid. <laughs> oh, like some kids don't have to be a good boy? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm relating to Marshak. Like it's context the character in this movie that I actually identify. It's context sensitive, right? Yeah. <laughs> and every kid's different. You wouldn't give the be a good boy speech to the fucking, uh, who's your favorite? Uh, Sawyer on Lost. <laughs> He's like going up against the devil kid. Why would you bring Sawyer into this? Oh, the movie where Sawyer kidnaps. There's a movie where Sawyer kidnaps uh, Omen, the Omen kid. A, a, a child who's basically the son of Satan. It's the ultimate battle of wits since Schwarzenegger Satan. It's the ultimate ransom of Red Chief. If I may invoke Mark Twain, Kelly. Dingus, what's he talking about? Dingus, what is your number two favorite bit of advice in a movie? All right, well, my number two is another Coen Brothers bit of advice, uh, but not uh, so theological as the one you brought up. Um, or mine. Uh, or your great idea of having Sawyer come in. Um, so here's a quote from my uh, my Cohen Brothers choice. Something I tr- uh, something I try to teach all my boys: always put one in the brain. <laughs> so I hear this- that, and whenever I know, I know this from. I'll, I'll let you say it. But every time I hear that, I'm like, "What is that from? Isn't it from some zombie movie?" Which it's not. It's not. <laughs> no, it is not. It is. Uh, it is uh, John uh, Plato character Johnny Casper uh, giving the advice uh, that he has always given to all of his boys and this is at the uh, the betrayal of Eddie Dane pretty much and he's sort of passing it on to Gabriel Byrne as something that he's always told people um, and that's always put one in the brain in Miller's Crossing my guess was coma <laughs> that's, that's terrible advice because it's how to kill people yeah, it is. It's it's terrible advice. It certainly is the opposite of what you were just talking about in your wonderful theological argument. And furthermore, um, Gabriel Byrne doesn't even take the advice. No, sadly, he does not. Uh, so, but tell, but Kelly Wan didn't tell us whether to give good or bad advice. He just said favorite. Advice. So far, Dingus, both of your instances, people have refused the advice. Yep. Kelly Wan, you well, think yours? Be Dingus's theme. Um, we don't know what becomes of Christina Ricci and Ice Storm. And uh, we don't know how Danny will turn out as an adult, do we? I assume they both die from the same tornado. Both who? Uh, Ice, Christina Ricci and Ice Storm and the kid <laughs> and Sirius Smack. It's the same year. So, so you same. really think that's a tornado that they're seeing? It's a sharknado. <laughs> it's all weather. Yeah, that's what God is to people. 
Kelly One, how many of Dingus's three by threes have had Miller's Crossing in them, and and is it anywhere near as close to the number that has had Midnight Crossing in them? Midnight Run, you mean? Midnight Run. Jeez, what is Midnight Crossing? It's not even a thing. Midnight Rushmore. <laughs> Crossing Jordan. Uh, I got this. Well, now that he doesn't, what's the movie he says doesn't hold up? Midnight uh, Run. Yeah. Was, Midnight Run, yeah. So I predict we don't hear much Midnight Run ever again. Like, he seems to have broken up with it. That's sad. I know. I'm kind of bummed about it. I am, too. It's like the era's gone. It's really fast. I've had that happen to me, too, like, where I was like, oh, good, this is on. And then ten minutes later, I'm like, oh, God. I don't think he broke up with it, though. I don't think he ever did. Midnight Run? Yeah, yeah. he did. No, I was I was sort of I was sort of kidding him, and he ran went along with it and never corrected it. So we do have listeners. Uh, if you're listening, we'd like to correct the record. I think uh, Dingus was joking, but so if you're not listening, you probably think that Dingus broke up with Midnight Run like Kelly Wand. That's sad. So you're correcting me and them. The ones who are listening now. No. Yeah, well, Ding, I'll leave it to Dingus. Dingus, have you broken up with Midnight Run? What's awesome is that no matter how I answer that, next week Kelly Wan won't remember my answer to it. To so, what? <laughs> so it's it's this great like inception multi level level troll that I will be able to keep doing with Kelly. I prefer no matter th- how I answer this question. I, I prefer to think of it as a five hundred first dates. Mm. Fifty like that. Jesus. Oh, Five hundred days of summer, fifty first dates. Right. I, I confuse us. Those both of those movies are so dear to me. <laughs> They're so different too. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what's your number two favorite bit of advice from a movie? Uh this one's kind of my weak one. Mm. I, I think this is the one where I meant to rewrite it, but I lost interest. Uh it's from the movie IQ and it's when Albert Einstein is trying to get t- mechanic Tim Robbins to have sex with his daughter. And he tells him, don't let your brain interfere with your heart. Man, so, I haven't even heard of IQ. So Albert Einstein has a daughter? Yeah, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan, yeah. And he watches him kiss? Tim Robbins? No, it's not Tim Robbins. Yeah, Tim Robbins. Yeah, it is Tim Robbins. Oh. Who did I say? They did I, say no, I just didn't hear what you said. Oh, I don't either. But uh, he's watching him kiss through a window, and he goes, an instant chemical reaction. It's Walter Matthau, by the way, as Einstein. So that's who I was quoting. Ew, this sounds dreadful. It's super it, dreadful. It is terrible. Wow, God, I missed that one. You should watch it on a date. Don't let your brain interfere with your heart, Tom. All right, let me make a note of that. Brain interfere heart. Okay, good, I got it. Kelly, okay. here's some advice I have for you for my yeah. number one pick. Mm. If you're asking me what to do, you know, you think about the very nature of life. I mean, from the very beginning... From the development of the first cell that divided into two cells, the whole purpose of life has been to pass on what was learned. There is no higher purpose. So if you're asking me what to do with all this knowledge you're accumulating, I say pass it on, just like any simple cell going through time. So Kelly, I hesitate to talk about this too much because you haven't seen Lucy yet. Ah. But imagine Morgan Freeman giving you that advice. Uh, I love that you know you mentioned before that a friend of yours saw Lucy and she was disappointed there wasn't more ass kicking. Uh, Lucy is not about ass kicking. It is not about you know it's about a superhero, a very powerful character. But this powerful character is confused and asks Morgan Freeman what she should do, and that becomes the point of the movie far more than the usual action scenes that I think a lot of people expect when they go to see it. Um, and I feel it's such an important part of the message. It's why I feel that 
it is uh, a friend of mine uh, sort of said, I don't feel that, that the, 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 the message in Lucy, which I feel is about mortality, you know, how do you deal with the dilemma that you're going to die? Uh, I, I sort of feel that the, the message in Lucy about that is really mature and it's really developed, especially for a Luc Besson movie. Uh, and a friend of mine said he didn't feel that was the case, but I would be hard-pressed to come up with, with any movie that really says, you know what, you're going to die, so what? The best thing you can do is whatever experiences you've had is enrich the people after, who come after you with those experiences. And there's a very important bit in Lucy where one of the characters talks about remembering being suckled, remembering suckling, wait, being suckled by her mother. What? How, how do you do the passive and active bit of that verb? She remembers her mother suckling her, whatever. She remembers breastfeeding there. She uh, remembers the taste of her mother's milk. Right, in her mouth. And she even makes it clear that, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I feel that Lucy has, as a message, as a movie, uh, a very different take on, you know, it's not about ass-kicking. It's basically about enriching those who come after you. And the metaphor is breastfeeding. And the more specific example is just like cells pass on information as they divide, pass on whatever you've learned. Uh, so I love that bit of advice. I love the scene, and I love how much time Luke Bisson lets Morgan Freeman take to deliver that little speech, because um, Morgan Freeman is very confused at the moment. He's having to think of this as it goes, and he's flummoxed by what is happening. Um, so I love that little bit of advice in Lucy, and it's one of the reasons that Lucy I, I, I so liked as a, as a movie. Um, Do you so like it more than her? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I think. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I I think uh, the the biggest her champion on the podcast will be Dingus, and I loved her. But uh, you know, I I liked Lucy definitely more than her. Um, Huh. Uh, I definitely like her more, but I think it has a lot of what Tom's talking about in this very moment, Um, because of uh, the the moment of confusion there, where uh, where Morgan Freeman does what Tom is talking about you uh, you remember the things that Lucy has already said about herself and how much time she thinks she has left and you kind of think wait is he talking about her procreate no he can't be and so Tom's point about information I think it's just such a beautiful it's just such a beautiful point and I think that her has some of that same connective tissue do you like Lucy more than her me no 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 I I I, I I love her unreserved. I I really really liked Lucy. Uh, I think Lucy is a wonderful wonderful movie, and I think Tom is absolutely correct, spot on when he talks about how it shows Luc Besson's maturity in sort of a, a whole different way, and especially in contradicting what your friend Kelly said about her superpowers. You know, I, I think it's a I think it's a wonderful movie, but her her just exists in a different plane for me because yeah. of the love story. So, Kelly Wand, when are you going to see Lucy, jerk? Which of those should I watch first, her or Lucy? What? He still hasn't seen her, Dingus? Um, it's going to be on cable soon, and I can watch it. <laughs> I'm busy. I have a lot going on. I want to see it. Wait, uh, you know what? Make, make a double feature of it, Kelly Wand. Scarlett Johansson night? Yeah. Will she go with me? I don't know. What's she doing these days? Have you talked to her lately? <sighs> it's not like it was back before I got famous. Also, watch Don John. As well, for another great score. Uh, uh, okay. Wait a minute, have you not seen Don John? No. Uh, Kelly, should, Dingus, haven't we done this before? Shouldn't Kelly Wan see Don John? We have done this before, but we, we, I don't think that we should bring them up in the same 
conversation. I'm a little suspicious of that one. Oh, there's so much stuff in there that I think Kelly John, uh, Kelly John's, Kelly John, that, uh, Kelly John, uh, that I think Kelly Wand would appreciate. Kelly. Well, I think he would appreciate it very much, but thematically they have nothing to do with what we're talking. Right, right, right. But as uh, far as Scar- Scarlett Johansson triple feature, I'm just yeah. trying Kelly Wand to really see the full breadth of Scarlett, and then for uh, and then just watch Under the Skin to cap the night off as a nightcap. Speaking of breast milk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't. That's that stuff was Kelly Wand. Yeah. Dingus, what's your favorite piece of advice from a movie? <laughs> All right. Here's my favorite. This is going in a completely different direction from where you were going with yours. Uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, my dad said, "Be an actor, my son, but be a comical one. Make him laugh." Can I make a guess? I have no yes. reason. I'm going to get. This is the sort of thing that. I'm guessing you you gleaned from a Woody Allen movie. Am I close? Um, they asked me advice if you got it. You're not not even close. All right, rats. Kelly Wand, what's your guess? Uh, I'm going to say Clara Bow. I don't know what that is. (laughs) She's a silent movie actress, isn't she? Yeah, she was the poor man's Theta Barra. Oh, Oh, that second one. Uh, Dingus, you stumped both of us. You win the three-by-three. Wait, am I right? Oh. What movie said, are you saying? Are you naming a movie? Is Airport movie 75. Called? Airport 75. No, it is not. Oh, all right. I'm lost. <sighs> the movie is Singing in the Rain. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. Hey, we should watch that together, Tom, because we were both a little hostile to it. But <laughs> a little? Jeez. No, but I think it's probably good. We're being dumb. It's probably good. It's freaking amazing. People like so, it. Uh, so the bit of advice, and this is very lighthearted, it's it's Donald O'Connor, uh, uh you know, his Cosmo Brown uh, making Don Lockwood feel better at the end of a very bad scene. Um, and he's, he's, he does this awesome, utterly awesome musical number called Make Him Laugh. And, uh, you know, basically he's just trying to make the guy feel better. And, he, and you think it's just going to be, oh, it's just going to be a lighthearted thing. But the song branches off into this uh my dad said be an actor my son but be a comical one make him laugh and it's just this whole bit of advice about make him laugh make him laugh make him laugh and that's the whole song and so given that uh we just saw this amazing movie guardians of the galaxy that uh uh, that after we left my nine-year-old son said i think that's the funniest movie i have ever seen dad um (laughs) he literally said that to me i think that's the funniest movie i've ever he's nine though he's seen three comedies probably he's seen all blake edwards he's seen many many comedies and none of them blake edwards thing is real quick let me ask did your son laugh during the dumb and dumber two trailer oh i did it's dumb and dumber three the person sitting to the right of me and the person sitting to the left of me Mm -hmm. laughed their heads off during the dumb and dumber two Oh, someone told Jeff Daniels they're looking forward to it, and he went, you are? <laughs> kind of disgustedly. Uh, and uh, and indeed, uh, both people laughed their heads off during the Annie trailer, too. What? So, my son, and so I can't remember the name of the guy who was sitting on the other side of me, but he was laughing his head off at the end. I love that scene in the Dumb and Dumber 2 trailer where the phone calls get crossed, and uh, Jim Carrey is like, I have to take this, it's my dead dad. And Jeff Daniels is like, I'm on hold. She's got me on hold. I love that scene. Wait, did you see the first one? Are you, aren't you the guy who didn't see the first Dumb and Dumber? No, I've seen Dumb and Dumber. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Tom, yeah, I like doesn't, Tom doesn't need like he's like me. He doesn't need any context to find stupid things funny. I mean, we're both easy well, laughs. Well, characters are like you know what they're gonna do. It's just the fun of watching it, like Archie Bunker. 
Oh, I don't want to see the movie. I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to see that. I'll see Grown Ups 2 before I I'll see I knew you were going to say Grown Ups 2. I knew it. I knew it. I kind of want to see Grown Ups 2. Some are Grown Ups 2 people. Some are Tango and Cash people. <laughs> Kelly Pond. Blah, 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 blah. All right, so Dingus, explain, so, so, uh, explain again the scene. No, I, don't, I don't need to explain it. It's just okay. if, if people love Singing in the Rain, they'll get it. It's just this little – it's – you know, it, it – it kind of goes – I mean, I feel weird bringing it up after you talked about Lucy because your points about Lucy are really more thoughtful. This is just a – this is this great song where where uh, where Cosmo Brown is making Don Lockwood feel better. Cosmo and Brown is Don Lockwood. So yeah. that's, the, that's the character's name. It's, it's Donald O'Connor who's just a brilliant comedian making another <laughs> great actor, Gene <laughs> Kelly. I want to watch it with Tom, just based on the noises he's making. I keep thinking um, Fred Astaire is in this. No, it's it's a Gene, Gene Kelly, Kelly movie. I don't and even Donald, know who that is. Fred Astaire's top hat. Gene Kelly is the, the guy who directed it. It's Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly directed this movie, and Gene Kelly is he's so brilliant and he Gene, and he's so generous that he just Kelly. he gives this whole scene to Donald O'Connor, who just does this amazing comic performance. But it's basically all in the service of the bit of advice. That he gets from his father and his grandfather, by the way, that, it, you know, we suggest you be an actor, you be a comical actor, and you make them laugh. That, that you will make, you will make it if you make people laugh. And so the whole bit of advice is make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. And I, I just, you know, when Kelly Wan told her about, you know, taught, I thought of just a host of movies, but when I, when I hooked on uh, Singing in the Rain and this, this scene where it's, it's make them laugh, I had to go with that because I just love, I love every moment in Singing in the Rain. I'll bring it up every time I can. Kelly wanted to date. Once you and I, we're going to have to see this Singing in the Rain. How old is this thing? It's, it's been black and white. Oh my god. Ugh. No, and it is way. not in black and white. We've had this discussion oh. before. It is not in black and white. It's, okay, it's not in black and white. It's 1952? And it's oh, in color. It's it's, it's in beautiful uh I think it's it's got to be MGM, but it's it's got to be it's got to have like Technicolor written on the poster. It's it's obviously in color. You fall, stop it! I don't know. Uh, what year was uh the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Because I don't think they knew how to make something. It had to be 50-something, because that makes But I don't think they knew how to make good movies before the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There was no good movies made before Jaws. I mean, obviously. I mean, I mean, they accidentally, and I think time travel might have been involved with Casablanca. That's an exception. But I don't believe that before Dom Siegel did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, anybody knew how to make things worth watching. Why would we see... Oh, God. Singing in the... It's not even a movie. It's a musical. <laughs> yeah. It's I no, yeah, and I don't really like musicals. That's why I haven't seen it. Fred Astaire isn't in it. Are you guys sure? He's the guy who does the dancing. Uh, uh, he has the partner. Fred Astaire's the one with Ginger Rogers. Right, they're the one in the dancing. Tell he doesn't have a partner, does he? Donald, yes, of course, he has Debbie Reynolds. Stop Debbie it, you Reynolds. guys! The he mother of Princess Leia. Kelly Wan, what's the dopier name? Cosmo Brown or Seaman Beaumont? Well, Seaman's is rank. <laughs> oh, what's Seaman Beaumont's first name, Dingus? Neil. No, it would again. Larry, Larry Beaumont. Hey Tom, at a wedding, yeah, an old lady told me after I was forced to dance, <laughs> my mom that I was. I was going to say I like where this go is going, but I already love where it's been. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I was forced to dance with my mother at a wedding. An old lady went, 
Well, you were no Fred Astaire, but your intentions were good. And then she, that, by the way, and she told me this by a card. Like she mailed me a card that said that. Oh, I was hoping she had like a business card that she just snapped out of her purse and handed it to you. <laughs> Give me a car, kid, if you want to make a career out of this. Yeah, <laughs> you're no Fred Astaire, but you got heart. Kelly <laughs> Wan, what is your number one favorite piece of advice in a movie? It's um. All right, runners up then. <laughs> oh, oh no, I'm sorry. I had you, you hadn't talked yet. Go ahead. Sorry, Kelly Wand. It's getting your screenplay right. It's the most important thing you'll ever do on your film. And it's obviously from Albert Einstein, so it's got to be a Bill and Ted movie. Um, no. I thought these were all Albert Einstein. Advice. He's only in the second one, and he doesn't say anything smart except Smokey is the Bandit, which isn't to me advice. So. It's more of a theory, but um, this is Yahoo Serious, who played young Einstein. Oh, my. And he also said, the journey of your first movie is not just beyond belief. God, the internet just swallowed <laughs> Kelly Wand. That's what you get for mentioning Yahoo Serious. All right, Kelly Wand, nice pick. Good work. Yahoo Serious Film Festival. I know what all those words mean. Which one? <laughs> All right, Dingus, what do the listeners have to say? Why um, would Dingus read it? Oh, Kelly Wand, because Kelly Wand, the internet had swallowed you up. Kelly Wand, I thought this was Dingus. Anytime I end up liking a topic, I immediately assume it's Dingus's. If I don't like a topic, I assume it's yours. Sorry, yeah, Kelly too. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what do the listeners have to say for their favorite? Arthur Giovanna Jelly. Right. In the spirit of this 3x3, I will offer some advice to the movie podcasters. Keep doing what you're doing because it's the best podcast around. Wow. <laughs> I feel weird reading that aloud, though. Thank, you, Thank you, Arthur. Kelly Wand, you're awfully full of yourself, aren't you, yeah, by reading seriously. that out loud? Jeez, Kelly Wand. Thanks, Arthur. I, we appreciate your modesty. I'm not sure about Kelly's, though. <laughs> Do you guys remember that awesome scene where – what's the what's the Truman Capote movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman played Truman Capote? It's called Capote, Phil. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Capote. Well, what's the one with Toby Jones? Then? It's called Toby <laughs> Jones plays Capote. No. <laughs> Anyone? No, it's called, it's called the Toby Jones one. Is is fam- infamous? Capote. Oh, you're right, aren't you? Ah, uh, well done, That's Kelly. My favorite video game, and I pulled it from my brain. I think it's called. I think it's pronounced infamous because it's more than famous. Infamous. That way, we don't make an ass out of you or me. <laughs> But the, do you guys remember the scene where uh, he and Catherine Keener are on a train, and the conductor, yeah. it's like an elderly black man, comes in and leans in and says, and by the way, sir, I just wanted to say I really liked your last novel. And then after he leaves, Catherine Keener says, how much did you pay him to say that? And he's like, only $5. But like he actually admits that he paid the guy to say that in front of Catherine Keener, who's playing, yeah, Harper, who's playing Harper Lee. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. So anyway, Kelly Wand, how much did you pay Arthur Giovanginelli to say that? That's a lot of money back then, five bucks. I, I might be uh, fudging the sums, as they say. Oh, uh, it's a line. I really love that line. I may have gotten the line wrong. <laughs> Arthur Giovanna and Jelly continues. Number three, in Bruges. Is that how you say it? It is now. Is in Bruges. Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell both separately try to advise a group of hefty American tourists they should probably not go to the top of the Belfort. <laughs> because, quote, there are a lot of winding stairs and it's really narrow. 
Fortunately, the advice isn't presented in a very polite manner and is ignored. Sidebar, Dingus, that jerk that told you to stop laughing, you know he was just the rudest man. The rudest man. I agree. I, I, that makes me so mad thinking about that. <laughs> the jerk? What kind of a, a dipshit is going gonna, is gonna to be offended at someone else's enjoyment in a movie? Jesus, that, that irks me. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I cussed. I agree with you. Uh, number two, Cloud Atlas. During the night. Ooh, wow. Wait, that's the noise that Cloud Atlas makes you? That's the noise that I make for Cloud Atlas. Dingus goes, ooh, wow, and I go, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. Nobody ever brings up Cloud Atlas, and I love that. Let's go. I hope no one ever expects the Cloud Atlas. Now, all I can say is I hope we're going to get some Ben Wishaw. Uh, it does look like it. During the 1970s plot thread... Tom Hanks is betwixt and between about what he should do with regards to his employer covering up the potential danger associated with Hydra Zero Reactor. <laughs> Halle Berry advises him that you have to do what you can't not do. Oh my god, I remember that line. I hated mm-hmm. that. That's where I, uh, that's where I, I was already broken up with the movie. That's where I re-broke up with the movie. Actually, did I like that line? I forget. That's when you unrebroke up with I might have actually liked that line. What? Wait, she could have said it cool. You have to do what you can't. Well, it's clearly like a bit of writing. I don't know who wrote – I forgot who wrote Cloud Atlas. But it's clearly like a bit of writing, writerly bits that the guy did in the novel they wanted to use in the movie. I think I don't like the line. You have to do what you can't not do, if I recall, right? Do you not like it because it means nothing? Yeah. (laughs) That's what I think. Okay. A great exchange between the two actors and solid advice for anybody with a tough decision to make. Tom, let let me ask you this. Uh, Is this a good line or a bad line? Mm -hmm. Because I remember you doing this to me during the Cloud Atlas podcast. Yeah, good. Okay. What is an ocean but a multitude of drops? No, that's a bad one, right? Did I dislike that one or not? I think that's a bad one. What's the context? Did I get it right? It, you shouldn't Robert need the context Patrick. to say whether or not a line is good, I think. Although no, maybe, it excuse, maybe it can excuse a bad line. But I think you can hear a line and decide whether or not it's good writing. Be a good boy, that means it's a good line in any context. <laughs> Be a good really? boy. <laughs> so what, did I get it right, Dingus, or did I? Did I... Uh, I don't remember. I just remember you challenging me on a couple. One of the things that happened during Cloud Atlas when I was gushing over it was you're like, all right, I'm going to. Right, yes, both of you. Uh, <laughs> is this good light or a bad light? And I remember what is the notion of a drop. Yeah, you were definitely both graded on your work. I just don't recall what the grades were. Yeah, I don't either. We're going to have to look up our transcripts. Okay. Um, I think that was a Jim Sturgis line. By the way. What was my grade, Coach? <laughs> uh, sidebar in the Cloud Atlas novel, the story about the music composer set in Bruges in the aforementioned Belfries featured prominently. The settings changed to Edinburgh in the film. Perhaps it is because they didn't want to create dueling Bruges movies. Number one, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Blondie advises Tuco with the following quote. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend, those with loaded guns and those who dig. The two kinds of people advice appears throughout this movie, and each occurrence is humorous and helpful. Uh, the title lists three kinds of people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they overlap like a Venn diagram. I'm no mathematician. That's Tom's depth. Uh, Runner-up, Ghostbusters, Ray, when someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Stupid Ray. Paul Weimer writes, Hey, guys, my three best pieces of movie advice. Number three, a little nonsense now and then. It's relished by the wisest men. Ah, very nice. I like that. 
Willy Wonka, Tom. Oh, yeah. the Johnny yeah. Depp one? Jesus Christ. Number he actually two. sings it. Doesn't he sing that bit of advice? A little nonsense now and then. Like that? It's relished by the wisest men. I think so. Oh. Yeah. I like a lot of nonsense. I I'm, so I'm, can I, as the three by three police, yeah, should, that, should I bring up like the difference between advice and just wisdom and sayings? Yeah, because I don't know the difference. I just felt like there was no, that, a, that, that's more of a, a, a fortune cookie. Well, you guys kind of called me out with the thing with uh, Sigourney Weaver. Like, she didn't really have advice for Christina Ricci, and it became clear as she was talking to her, she thought she was delivering advice. Wait, that was totally advice. I didn't. You were called out for that. Well, advice is. And part of what made me key off of Lucy is Morgan Freeman says, well, if you're asking me what to do, my advice to you is blah, blah, blah. Like, advice is almost kind of. Like, are little pearls of wisdom advice, or isn't advice... Like, Dingus has instructions with Hannibal Lecter, or, you know, how to actually kill someone. I don't know his singing in the rain thing. Those are someone telling somebody specific bits of advice for how to do a job, how to do something. Yeah, um, but this, this is proportions. Little nonsense equals wisest men. How's that advice? It's, I, you it's know what? Like, I, it it like is fortune myth. cookie. But yeah, it's more like a saying or a bit of Because I have a bunch of things that I wanted to use, but I was like, well, there's no specific advice here. Well, this is my fault because I kind of tried to, to, to go wide. Well, I don't know. It's your fault. I just think it's it, as, as your three by three cop because that is my designated role. I have the badge right here. Who's the you cop need to see it. on your topics? I am. I police myself. Who, who cops the three by three cop? Me. I do. Mm. Yeah, uh, but I kind of feel like advice is a specific word that you can be broad with it, and it can involve more general stuff. Like, uh, was it Arthur that was saying that um, – oh, no, that's Paul's uh, Willy Wonka thing. But to me, that's kind of – I didn't use certain things like that I wanted to use because I felt, well, oh, that's not really advice. It's just kind of a saying. It's a little bit of wisdom. It's, it's a bon mot. Wisdom is advice. Oh, you're saying – okay, how to do stuff. Yeah, but I don't know. You know what? It doesn't have to be. I, Paul, that's a great choice. I, I love bringing any – anytime it's the Gene Wilder one over the Johnny Depp one, I approve. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to mention that. And I don't, I don't know what any of yours were about, Kelly Wand. So. Einstein. <laughs> and it's the same with the Blondie line about two kinds of people and good, bad, and the ugly. How is that advice? It's more like with uh, – I don't know. Yeah, it's counting. Anyway, I just, as the cop, I had to flash my badge, bring uh-huh. that up. I'm putting the badge up. There, it's gone. You don't see it. I'm You're putting it back up. into the background. Kelly Wand, proceed. <laughs> You're putting it up in... Never mind. Number two, you ask how to fight an idea, I'll tell you how, with another idea. Then her. I don't know what that is, but that sounded just... like advice to me. I just go, oh, it's that Chariot movie with Charlton Heston I've ever seen. That's the movie where he says, I am Spartacus. <laughs> I thought that was on. Wait, he's on the stars one. You can't. You, go ahead. Yeah. You can't what? I want to hear this. You can't try to one up my Miss Movie reference with a TV yeah. reference, Kelly Wand. Yes, I am. Uh, Come on. Oh. <laughs> hmm. How dare I? Then uh, her William goes William Weimer Paul Weimer. Not Willy Wonka. Paul Weimer writes a movie that is much more than an awesome chariot race. After I just kvetched. Number one, if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. Who knew when Bubba Smith took that role, he knew he'd get the most quoted line. 
That's me not reading it. Runner-up, because someone has to have scooped me on this, let the Wookiee win. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. Uh, that that's advice. It's totally advice. Yeah, right. So that yeah. means your great advice. criteria, Tom. That, I mean, that's one of those great throwaway moments, like never get in a land war in Asia, like that kind of thing. That's that's comedy <laughs> advice. It's famous, absolutely. Never Paul's get absolutely right to bring that up. I'm sure we'll hear that one, the Princess Bride bit with Wally Shawn. Oh, wait, Wally Shawn says never get in a land war with Asia in Princess Bride. Yeah, it's where he's gonna. Uh, he's doing the little witch cup has the poison in it thing with Carrie Elways, and uh, he says, "You've just violated one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you." I'm paraphrasing here. Lord. One of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you next to never go get in a land war with Asia, and that is never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Ha 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 ha! And then he kills over dead. That's my rendition of that scene. Thank you very much. And scene. Asia's revenge, but. Uh, but you remember that. That's a piece of advice. Never get in a land war in Asia. Jim Gardam writes, Hi, Kelly Wand. You guys didn't get a hello. So rude. I've yeah. started with quote. Well, I guess maybe just meant his topic giver gets... Fair enough. The salutation. Uh, let us know if at the end, though, if he tells you to say hi to me and Dingus. Uh, okay. So far, nothing along those lines. Okay, just keep us posted. All right. Uh, I've started the quotes, as it seems appropriate for an advice, three by three. Delivered in a poorly studied Hungarian accent. Everybody ought to go careful in a city like this. <laughs> I liked that his quote had advice preceding it. Yeah. Well, I'm. that's my Hungarian accent. Here, I'll do it my Yugoslavian one. Everybody ought to go careful in a city like this. Popescu's advice, Tom, it seems to Holly Martin's, to simply be advice from a concerned friend. But as is typical of film noir, the audience understands this is also a threat, which is a realization that will come to the Martins in a moment of comical terror. Everyone ought to go careful in a city like this. Is that advice, Tom? Everybody ought to go careful? Yeah, I guess so, sure. I mean, if, if you asked me to be the three-by-three three cop, I would allow that. One. Yeah. Go, Someone, going careful is advice. Putting the badge up. Badge Someone up. should badges up. Someone should really warn people when they've been written as film noir characters. <laughs> See, if you know you're in a horror movie, Tom, <laughs> you don't have to worry about film noir tropes. Kelly, what would be your advice to me if I thought I was in a horror movie? Uh, depend on which one. Are you at home? Is it a home invasion horror movie, or are you in space? I'll look further into that and get back to you. That was the third man. Uh, did I already mention that? You did not. Not what you did. I thought she spent the last year balancing your chakra at a Himalayan retreat. Burr-a-y? What? I don't know what he's doing. In case the quote isn't clear, this is the advice given in the form of rhythmic chanting by an obelisk to an ape to maybe try hitting other apes and tap tappers with a bone or something <laughs> so screeching at them. <laughs> oh, that's the monolith noise? That he spelled that out? <laughs> I feel so you, dumb. He gave you phonetic monolith advice. The monolith doesn't say shit, does it? Oh, it's really it does. Do you know what C. Clark wanted it to show little TV shows to the apes, and that's how they learn it? Oh, that's why he's not a movie director. Right. It's true. If only I had watched this film before I finished. 
what the monoliths? Yeah, the the, on, the iPhone is basically the monolith showing. I got a white one because I don't need their version. Uh, Two thousand one Space Odyssey, <laughs> directed by Stanley Kubrick. Is it Kubrick or Kubrick, Tom? I, I can't. I don't want to say it like he's a cube. Kubrick. I always say Kubrick. Kubrick. I don't. Do you say Kubrick? Who says Kubrick? I say Kubrick, but I'm not. I just like saying it like that. I don't like hearing that. I'd rather someone just say Kubrick. If someone says Kubrick, I'm immediately suspicious of them. Remember when I told Dingus it's Dr. Seuss, not Seuss? Did you fall for it? It's true. I told you, too. I only remember telling Dingus, though. Anyway, uh, delivers your fans, finest character actor. I remember feeling that way myself. You'll always remember your first arrest. But there's a lot more guys like him than you realize. The more you arrest them, the less sentimental you'll feel. It's got to be Phantom Menace. No, it's Mike Kurosawa. Oh, it seems thanks. obvious a p- police officer shouldn't emphasize with criminals, but the best advice usually is. Can I guess? What? Is it high and low? No, stray dog. Ah. No. Thanks for making such a great podcast, Jim Gardham Pallister, York. Oh, see, British people like us even. Oh, that's why he knows Kurosawa movies, because he's a, he's a Brit. Brits are smarter. They don't go in for dumb American trash so often. Right. Unless unless it's a podcast. Jim, sorry, I'm such a bad actor. Did Jim say hi to us, by the way, at the end of the show? Oh, my God. Those British are so rude, though. I tell you. They're the free-range rude. (laughs) Colton Westrate writes... Who? Wait a minute. Wait, wait, back up, Kelly Wan. Hold on. (laughs) You're burying the lead like that anymore. (laughs) You just made some sort of chemical reaction. Yeah. Give us that one again, Kelly Wan. Do it. Give us some reaction. Give it to us nice and slow. You know this, how I like it. This next three by three. Just the name. We don't care about your lead. Give uh, it. Let's hear this name again. What is it? Colton Westrait. All right. Now they're just messing with us with these yeah. awesome names. No, they're not. It's just there's that many cool names. That's the fun thing about being. It's probably the only fun thing about being people is we name ourselves. Well, we don't. Our parents do. It's a no, stupid it's- system. Colton Westrate? Westrate? All right, there is nothing cool about it. You're right. What are you talking about? This is awesome. That's the name of a guy in a movie. Like that. That guy should be one of the crew members of the Red October. Seriously. Or the other, the other one. We're seeing Beaumont. Who's gonna play Colton Westrate? Is Chris Pratt available? I don't know. I was thinking Jason Statham, but I don't think he can handle the Colton Westrate. No, yeah, that's that's way too dignified a name for Jason Statham. All right. I had to drink a jug of uh, Westrate to. Make my x-rays pink. And boy, are my arms tired. (laughs) All right, what does Colton have? I I love that. (laughs) Colton Westrate simply writes, no capes. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Yep. That's a win. Dwin. Hello, gentlemen. We should say that's from The Incredibles in case you're listening and you didn't recognize it. Very good. Everyone knows. Do they? I don't know. No one listens to this podcast who hasn't watched The Incredibles. Fair enough. Dwin writes, hello, gentlemen. Dwin from the Quarter to Three forums here. Just one entry this week. It was the first one that came to mind. Here's the quote. Hey, Peter. Yeah, watch out for your cornhole, bud. <laughs> oh, my God. What? What is that? <laughs> I either love this or hate it. I can't decide yet. I do need context. Hey, Peter. Yeah, watch out for your cornhole, bud. Does that help? No. <laughs> this was a Dredic Bader. 
Bader, Drudrick Bader, dispensing the world's most important advice to Ron Livingston in Office Space. Keep it fun for it, sirs. Maybe I need to give Office Space another chance. Uh, P.S. Kelly, at any point so far in the 3x3, three three, did Tom snootily say, not advice? He didn't write that. He did. Nope, he did not write that. Then he wrote, if so, nice. <laughs> oh, gee, both of us got tagged? Nice. P.P.S. Kelly is the best. You're not believe- See, he's trolling me. How much, how much did you pay him to write that, Kelly? That's what I'm saying. You're going gonna, gonna to think I, I made all this up. Uh, there's one answer to that. Try again, Tom. How much did you pay for that, him to say that, Kelly Wand? Absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> Actually, thing is, he got it. Kelly Wand right. got the answer. Good yeah. point. <laughs> Stephen Christie writes, Hey there, here are my picks for the three best pieces of advice given in film. Hold on real quick. How do we feel about Stephen Christie's name? I empathize with it because it starts out strong and manly, but then Steve. it kind of becomes a little feminine. As a guy with a name like that myself, Stephen Christie, I approve of your name. If you ever want to exchange names for a day, just try each other's names on. I would happily do that with you. Hello, fellow kindergartners. My name's Tom Chick. <laughs> Kill him! That didn't happen. I did survive kindergarten. Hard to believe, but I did. I did. Yeah. Kindergarten was du- I See, oh, never mind. It's the year we didn't have to go to school, and we went, yeah, school, woo! So we went to it, but in hindsight, I wish we'd had that year off. Just the two of us, though. Mm-hmm. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stephen Christie. Hey there, here are my picks for the best three. Number three, never start a landlord in China from Princess Bride. It's great it's advice. It's Asia. Yeah, China's, China is part of Asia. So that's included, but yes, I, think it, I think it's mainly a Vietnam reference. I'm just saying. <laughs> In Princess Bride? Yeah. Princess Bride, don't they mention a couple of times real-world countries? Yeah. Well, Asia, first of all, is a continent, but there are other times I recall in Princess Bride they would mention like Paris or something. I don't remember specifics, but there's at least one other time in Princess Bride where a real-world country is, is mentioned, and I thought it was odd. Never sell arms for hostages. Princess Bride is, is another kind of a – it's another heart of darkness thing. Well, Wally, you know Wally Sean is a, is a Sicilian. Uh, what do you mean it's another heart of darkness thing? It's another heart of darkness um, – it's another heart of darkness thing. Did you not know that? I don't know what you mean by heart of darkness thing, Dingus. You know how Apocalypse Now is a heart of darkness. Oh, right. Wait, what is besides Apocalypse Now? How is it a heart of darkness? So it's about the Belgian Congo? I'm kidding. Never mind. Oh, uh, damn. Yes, and Dingus. You guys are fucking dumb. Tell me what, is that advice? Or is that just wisdom? <laughs> you say you're dumb? Yeah. Both. I like it. But when we watch Singing in the Rain together, it may start straining our uh, Weatherbees. Number two is when Maud Lebowski advises the dude in Big Lebowski to see her doctor claiming he's a good man and thorough. <laughs> That's not advice. Is it, Tom? Nope, sorry. Well, maybe the, the see, t- telling he's him to see the doctor thorough. is advice, but he's a good man and thorough. Oh, yeah, uh, actually, right. That's good writing, though. Yeah, I guess I got confused because he's a good man and thorough is in the quotation, so I go... I thought that's what I had to evaluate. Number one, best movie advice is from Lion King. After being exiled from Pride Rocks, and visit the lowest of the lows. <laughs> it's called Pride Rock? Uh, I th- I'm assuming that Steven is making a joke. If so, it's an awesome joke. If he's not, if that's actually what it's called, I'm a little disappointed. Pride it Rock. Is, it is called Pride Rock. No way. They call it Pride Rock in the movie? 
Yeah, because it's a lot. It's a pride of love. No, I got it, but I didn't. I felt like okay. The crows live on Murder Rock. (laughs) (laughs) I think they live in Murder Cul de Sac. What? Tom, tell him to stop that. I would have gone with myself. I personally would have gone with something like Murder Oak or Murder Tree. Murder ass. Simba's dad's murdered in front of his eyes. Pride Rock, really? Huh? All right, whatever. Whatever Disney, whatever you got to do. <laughs> we just saw a Disney movie today, so don't be. Which one? Uh, the that would, that would be Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. You could tell by all the insipid Disney family movie trailers that were in front. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Annie. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, and I live in. Fucking Orange County. I was a little worried. As those trailers were, were spooling in front oh, of me, and I had to yeah. close my eyes, I was like, wait, these are the kind of, this is the audience that they're wanting to. Yeah, I know. To. Yeah, I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Right. I don't think I'm welcome here. All right, so Stevens, uh, after Big Lebowski, what was his next pick? Lion Pride. Oh, the light, yeah, yeah. So tell us about this Pride Rock. Simba's dad's murdered in front of his eyes, and he's cast out from his home. He meets Timon, played by a meerkat, who exclaims, bad things happen, and there's nothing nobody can do about it, right? Right. Wrong. When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. Thanks for the great podcast. Wait, he's saying that's good advice? I guess it is good advice. From a meerkat, when you consider that it's a meerkat giving it, yeah. I think just... He's that not just a me. mayor meerkat. What? No, it reminds me of a, a, a of a new runner-up for me. Good. Ladnar Savad. Yeah. Hey, Ladnar! Right. Here we are again. Now that I've fully unlocked 100% of my brain, I'm writing this to you through space and time from a magical USB thumb drive. It looks like stars and stuff. Spoiler alert. That's from me. Somehow, even though I could travel through infinite dimensions and change my matter at will with superpowers, I found myself very busy this week and barely managed to sneak in my entry for this week's three by three. All right, that's good. Going to get to the chase here. Uh, you have to guess at what this is from, he says. Ace, love has no borders, nationalities, or genders. Do it. <laughs> what the fuck? I've never heard of this movie. Of course, that's a pitiful quote to read, but the acting by a guitar wolf in the 1999 film Wild Zero. What? That is. I'm guessing, is it some sort of anime? Because a lot of times people will talk about a movie to me without letting me know in advance that it's anime, anime. and I'll have no idea what it is. Like, some people think that anime is actual, is, is movies. It's not. It's anime. They're not movies. They're anime. They're different. It's like saying a documentary is a movie. It's not a movie. Hmm. When I describe movies to people, I try to leave out that it's porn till after I'm done, so that they'll keep listening. I think that that is sound advice. The mechanic shows up. Um, for those who haven't seen the film, I want to spoil. I don't want to spoil what the do it refers to. But rest assured, this is a great piece of advice for everyone everywhere all the time. Till next week, when I come back, as a USB stick shaped like a skateboard. Ladnar, a.k.a. Randroid. Can't tell if he likes Lucy or not. That's the thing about emails. Mm. Chris Markardson, Markardson? Wait. Chris Markwardson. Markardson. Chris Markwardson. Okay, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Uh, just, just for safety, let's have one more. Yeah. Markwardson. Try it without the script. Just throw away the script and just try it off book. See, see how it comes out. Okay. No! No! 
No. 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 Kelly Wand, can you hear me? Kelly Wand, yes, can I you can hear you, Thompson Fandango. <laughs> this is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me, Kelly Wand? Yes, I can hear you. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say that. Uh, here are three bits of advice and one reaction I really enjoyed. My number three pick is advice in the face of an apocalypse. When in doubt, don't get stingy with your bullets. See, I would have thought this was Harley Davidson, but it's the rules laid down by Columbus in Zombieland. My number two pick is advice that's given too late to be helpful. Do you remember that one? Don't get stingy with your bullets, Tom. Don't remember that specific bit of advice, but I do remember the movie Zombieland. My number two pick is advice that's given too late to be helpful. The advice is, well, he should have armed himself. if He's going to decorate his saloon with my friend. Is that advice? I mean, I love that he... I would love to pick something from Unforgiven, but... Uh... Is that advice? Isn't it unforgiven? It's given too late to be helpful. Yeah, it is unf- okay. It's not advice. Uh, yeah, he doesn't tell him really. But you have to actually say the advice to the person. Yeah. You just go, well, that guy a thousand years ago shouldn't have tripped. Like that's not really advice. Yes, Juan, fascinating. It's too late for saloon owner Skinny Dubois, whom Willis already shot. I just wanted to say that name for Tom. My number one pick has probably already been chosen, but this is well-intentioned advice that's received poorly. Here's the advice and the reaction. Hey, guys, I wouldn't go up there. It's really narrow. (laughs) Female response. Screw you, motherfucker. In Bruges, awesome Brendan Gleeson's rebuke by the American (laughs) tourists. I love that. I love that more than one person came up with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a popular one. That and Dan Aykroyd's, uh, whatchamacallit thing. Neck and neck. See, doesn't it win if, if one's most picked, Tom? Uh, only if the, uh, the three by three cop doesn't disqualify it. The wrong cop. Mm. Rom cop. Kelly Wan, let's be cops. Absolutely not. <laughs> Alexander Burns writes, hello, Kelly. First billing, Tom. Tom and Mr. Muchacha Rowski. I've been anticipating this podcast for Guardians all week. And I feel bad for him. And can't wait to hear everybody's picks. Keep up the great podcast. You three are on a roll. Number three, Michael Mann's Heat is chock full of advice for a healthy and happy lifestyle. Well, hope doesn't hold up as well as hoped. Healthy and happy lifestyle, Tom. I'll never forget the piece of advice De Niro's character repeats. Don't let yourself get attached to anything ah. you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. That, by the way, not only is it absolutely advice, it, it has the title of the movie in the advice. Who, is, who wrote this email, Kelly Wand? Alexander Burns. Mm, Alexander is winning so far. Go ahead. Yeah. For you. As far as getting the category correct? As far as, yeah, getting it correct and, and, and managing something none of us has done. Because none of us has had the title of the movie in the advice. In Dingus's, unless the guy says, you know what, if you're unhappy, you should be singing in the rain. You know, that doesn't happen. Uh, so until you, I think it's a unique accomplishment. Scott Glenn doesn't say to Jodie Foster, don't give him anything personal and look out for any anecdotes about the silence of the lambs. But, but, it- but, but what, what Alexander Burns has achieved here is he's brought up the point of the title of the movie. It is advice. Uh, I, li- I, like this, I like this pick quite a bit. Well, also, in Nell, someone goes, Nell, shut the fuck up. Like, that's the title of the movie, because her name is in the title. Is that advice to tell someone to do that? Well, 
I guess you can advise someone. I hear it all the time, so. <laughs> De Niro probably should have taken that advice when he read the script to Righteous Kill. Oh, what's that movie? Righteous Kill? Righteous Kill is, I think it's De Niro, Clive Owen, and Jason... Oh, yeah, that no, one. It's Al Pacino. It's Al Pacino, isn't it? Oh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Righteous Kill is where they're both cops investigating... No, I've even seen it. Yeah, I remember it. <laughs> but there's one that has some weird cast with, like... Sounds distinctive. I might even be right. It is called something like <laughs> View to a Kill, or... View to a Kill, with uh, Robert De Niro and Grace Jones. Yeah, that tapped into our dread of Grace Jones killing James Bond. On top of the Golden Gate Bridge. And Christopher Walken, with an axe. God, that fucking movie. I'm still upset. It's still only 30 years, though. Number two, the advice given to Amy Simons' character before she leaves the house in Year Next. Run. What is it? What is Keep it your run? head forward or what? I don't. Yeah. He doesn't, tell, he doesn't mention what it is. She definitely should have listened to whichever character urged her not to leave. I guess that's what it is. Oh, oh, right. Okay. If I don't see the quotation marks, I get confused. Uh, number, number three, again, Jaws, you're going to need a bigger boat. Is that advice? Sincerely, nope. Alex. P.S. Kelly, your three by threes are my favorite. Okay. You hear that, Tom? Did he say hi to us? I forgot. No, no. Man. Everyone hates you. Uh, Peter Haynes, right? Actually, maybe that is advice. Hold on. You're going to need a bigger boat. Is that advice? I kind of think it is. He's still not going to say hi to you. It's already written. <laughs> <laughs> you can cry all you want. Fair enough. Is there a button to edit his email? Yes. Okay, press that right in. Hi, Tom. Me? Yeah. I don't want to say hi to you. <laughs> you have, see, you have to get up earlier in the morning if you want those kind of perks. How about me, Coach? Will you say hi to me? Yeah, I'll, I'll write it for Dingus. He's trying his best. Peter Haynes writes, Am I too late? The only piece of movie advice you'll ever need. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. <laughs> Wait a minute. Tom, is that advice? You bet. You bet. Really? It's advice. Yeah, and it gets the, he's now tied Alexander Burns. Ah. He's got the title of the movie in the advice. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a good one. And and by the way, Chinatown, better movie than Heat. I don't think anyone would dispute that. So, so far, he's winning. I always felt stupid because I never understood that line. And I still feel stupid. Kelly Wan, you're like Drax because Chinatown, it's a metaphor. Yeah. Don't worry. Why? Well, it won't go over your head, though. <laughs> Kelly One, it's like all those movies in the seventies. <laughs> they're they're these sort of existential meditations and Chinatown represents um just get it, Kafka. Yeah. It's a trial. Yeah, there you go. That's from another movie. I forget the name of it. Kafka by Steven Soderbergh. Oh, I never saw that. It's Lesser Soderbergh. What? Uh, that's what everybody said. Yeah. But I read the trial like a couple of years ago and it was it was pretty it exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? Uh, you know what, I think this is going to be weird. I don't know if I've read it, but I think I vaguely remember the Anthony Perkins movie. Yeah. Orson Welles directed it. What? Yep. Oh. Yep. Sure it's all industrial. There's a really creepy parable yeah. at the beginning, yeah. like woodcutting, carvings and shit. Oh, yeah, maybe. maybe they did know how to make good movies back then. It was more of an occasional thing, hmm. as Barton Fink taught us. Peter Haynes, keep up the fine work, gents. And I can hear you, Dingus McCroskey. <laughs> this we should let folks know there's this this uh, British series that uh, called Toast of London which yeah. we are getting a second season 
Yay! Love, I'm so glad about with uh, with Matt Berry, and these are lines from uh, Toast of London. Not movies. We apologize. Sometimes in this podcast, we see and reference TV. Sorry. Well, with Matt Berry, you just want to champion his it's cause. Good. It's good enough to be a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It it should be a movie. Chris Hornbostel writes. Hello again, QT3 podcast. Great topic, Kelly. Your three by threes have been killing it of late. Did he say hi to me? No. Damn. I'm assuming he refers to best oceans as well when he says that I've been killing it of late. I've been drowning in good ideas. Uh, uh, he continues. Hopefully, this is on time to make the show. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. Next one. No. All three of mine are specifically referenced as advice in the movies they're in. So no gainsaying from Tom on these. Sounds like he's got the right idea. They don't say hi to you and they get mad at you. You know what? It's not being a cop is a thankless job, but somebody's got to do it. Otherwise, you know, this isn't Nam. There are rules. I protect. I don't serve. That's how Tom talks. I feel like there's one that sits above all others. Just like Thanos. One of the most iconic, if not... You're making his name sound like it rhymes with anus. Isn't it Thanos? It's not me. They called him Thanos. Didn't they? I think he killed Captain Marvel, by the way. Thanos. Are you scared of Thanos, Tom? Did you find him like a frightening presence? Uh, Dingus, who played Thanos in the movie? Uncredited. You know who played him. Josh Brolin. Yeah. You knew that, Kelly Wand? I did. No, you didn't. I did. I looked it up. All right. Do you know who Howard the Duck was? The Duck that could talk from the no, comics. You played him? Do you know who played Howard oh, the Duck? Yep, I do. I looked it up. Sigourney Weaver. Dwayne Johnson. Jesus. Who did the voice for Howard Jesus? the Duck? Wow. Uh, the Rich Man's Jamie Kennedy. Seth Green. <laughs> I couldn't understand what he said. Did you? Uh, I didn't care. As soon as I saw it was a Howard the Duck reference, oh, I, I, I got up and started walking out at that moment. It, 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 it burns awesome. when it goes down. He was talking about drinking. I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. No. Wait, Dingus, did you like the Howard the Duck thing? I couldn't care less. I was just uh, impressed. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought Why it was is that great? great? I mean, it just left a... Because it was the first I, time... I, all I could think is, I sat here through all of this for that. No, I was real, I was ta- I was stunned by it. I couldn't believe it was real. Like really, they're getting like that was the hugest bomb ever, and they're doing it at the end of the greatest movie ever. I thought that was really unexpected. And all the I saw it with all those all the fanboy nerds, and like they didn't like it. Like they're like, what? How did the duck? What the fuck? Like it was such a weird reaction. It made me like it even more. Like they couldn't tell if they liked it or not. You guys know you don't like it. So no, I, I could tell I didn't like it. I could tell when there I was no being on the fence for you. No, no. I thought it was pretty funny and weird. Uh, uh, Chris Hornbostel, Plastics. Oh, yeah, that's famous. Sure. Right. What I love about that line from The Graduate is it not only helps the film establish Ben's disconnect from the older generation, it would end up becoming symbolic of the trouble with communication in that era of the generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he's speaking for all of us. Are we going to have to bleep out all that Howard the next stuff? Number two. General, you go down there. This is Jack Crabb's advice that sets up Custer's last stand at a little big man. I love that movie. Did you, did you ever see that one, Tom? I don't Dustin know it. Hoffman? Yeah. He's like an old man. But then 
uh, Bert, did you ever watch Soap? I did, yes. Remember Burt Campbell on there, Richard Mulligan? I do. For he's, he's from Blake Edwards movies too. Yeah, yeah. He's sob. Uh, he's Custer in it. Oh, I do I, approve of that casting. I've lost your interest. <laughs> I love how his rage at having seen his cavalry massacre, having seen the cavalry massacre, his wife and baby bubbles up here. He tells Custer there are a thousand shining Sioux Braves waiting for him down the coulee. And when they're done with him, he'll be nothing but a greasy spot. Number three, this guy, best chapel speaker I've ever seen. Ah, that's a okay. Yeah, well, you know the movie. It's Rush. I don't understand how that's advice, though. Best chapel speaker I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't either. That's not advice, Tom. You're not even going to dignify that. Here, do you want to hold my badge? I'm scared. Is it still moist? The guy also says, take dead aim on the rich kids and take them down. Ah, that's the advice. Very good. Very good. That is good. You well, he, it, he called it another bit of advice. So, so that, that's the advice. Take aim on the rich kids and take them down. Yeah. Dave Perkins writes, we love the advice that Channing Tatum gives Jonah Hill when they return to high school. Like, make fun of kids you try and they immediately find out how bad they are. <laughs> Also, one strap, not two straps. Great topic, and yet that's the only good example we've got. Any advice to park in the handicapped spot? That was an advice? Yeah, sure. Fire QT3. Oh, it's just it's fire. Sorry. I thought she was using it as a verb. Hi, Kelly. Just one this week. Please do me a favor. Play a Nazi. And if I don't, they will eliminate you. What? What's that from? In the movie Iron Sky, I don't think I saw that. Tom, Iron Sky? Uh, it's, it's been on while I'm in the house, but I've never seen it. James Washington. <laughs> I wish I was a fly on the wall for that. In the movie Iron Sky, James Washington lands on the dark side of the moon and stumbles upon a huge Nazi camp. James undergoes a procedure that turns his brown skin and hair white. His brown skin and hair white. Yeah, he's a black dude, and he turns into a white dude on the moon. Oh, oh. What? Oh, that movie. I, I wanted to see that. Yeah, yeah. It's Is awesome. it good? It's so awesome. You like it? All right. No, it's terrible, but it's awesome. Oh. It looks weird. His advice, if he chooses to accept, is to act the part, then he might escape. I'd like to thank Christian for the advice and my QT3 secret Santa for the movie. <laughs> see? That's it. He's giving the advice to act like a Nazi. So awesome. <laughs> Runners up. Uh, here we go. See if you guys recognize this one. Your kid died. Doesn't get any rougher than that. But still, it's a matter of what you do now. If you decide to go, then you've got to get on with it. you got to plant both your feet on the ground and start living life. Motorama? Nope. Uh, advice given from an, a, a hallucinated character. Oh, um... The advice is delivered to Sandra Bullock. Oh, okay, yeah. Demolition Man? <laughs> Jeez. But I, I do love that moment in Gravity. Oh, yeah. 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 Tom, if if I were to tell you that uh, you are Tom Cruise and you're giving an, a motivational speech, what advice would you give me if I were in the audience? <laughs> Respect. I can't say it on a podcast. That what? Tom Cruise? To... Uh... Respect the... C, 
tame the sea. Right. So, okay, that's good advice. <laughs> I think C minus. I was trying to think of like moments in Magnolia, and yeah, that that is, I guess, <laughs> that's advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in in this terrible movie, you know, it's not awful. It's just there's so much baggage for this poor kid. In a movie called. I want to say the sad death. Or it might just be called the death of Charlie Countryman. It's about Shia LaBeouf. After his mother dies, um, she gives him advice uh, to just travel to Bucharest. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do there. And he goes there and he gets caught up with these criminals who tra- and, a, and a woman who tries to kill him. And it becomes like a kind of a thriller thing. And he gets the crap beat out of him. Uh, he's played by it's Shia LaBeouf. And his mother is Melissa Leo. And as things are just getting to turn out to be so terrible and he's worried that he's going to get killed and everything is just going wrong and he's wanted by the cops, Melissa Leo appears to him. His mother, you know, the ghost of his dead mother, appears to him and says, you know, I don't think I meant Bucharest. I think I meant Budapest. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that happens in Strangers in Paradise, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, But this is in The the Death of Charlie Countryman with Shia LaBeouf. And it's, you know, I love it. No, no, not really. Um, But I just love that moment where Melissa Leo, you're like, oh, she was just in a little bit of the first part of the movie. But then she comes back near the end and has this great absurd moment where she's like, I don't I I told you the wrong thing. You weren't supposed to go here. Did you mean that for that to link up to today's movie? No, but but how does it apply to? Oh, oh, the the dead mother thing. Uh, No, I didn't even think of that. that's That's a good, a very good connection, Dingus. Yeah. I was watching Weatherman, the movie with Nicolas Cage and, ah, uh, and Michael Caine as his father, and there's some great bits of oh, uh, yeah. of wisdom that Michael Caine gives him, including things like like don't be a silly fuck, you know, things like that. Um, but uh, there's no there's not advice so much as great wisdom. But I have to say, rewatching Weatherman, which I really like, man, Hope Davis is really hot. Yeah. Is she uh, as hot as Laura Linney? Yeah, wasn't she? Laura Linney is the better actress, but Hope Davis is super weirdly hot to me. I don't know what it is that's going on there, but there's a great moment where Nicolas Cage, and I'd forgotten about this, I just giggled out loud at this, where Nicolas Cage, he's trying to sort of rekindle some spontaneity in their relationship, even though they're separated, and they're talking in the front yard of the house, and, and she turns to go in, and it's snowy. And he thinks, this will be cute, and he picks up a handful of snow and makes a snowball and throws it at her and calls her name. And she turns at just the wrong moment, and it hits her in the face. And she's like, what the fuck? You crushed my glasses. And he's all, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I just love that moment. That is great. Oh, I love that movie so much. Yeah, I, I do too. And Michael Caine, just again, so good. And such a great contact, contrast to what a doofus Nicolas Cage is in that movie. Uh but yeah. Uh, other, oh, here's another runner-up. You guys won't understand this, because you didn't like the movie as much as I did. The advice that Bambledam, or whatever his name is, gives to Ashley Bell as, as she, in The Last Exorcism Part 2, as she's undergoing the ritual that's going to kill him and kill her. He says something to her, like, you know, uh, join me, you know, embrace me, let's be a couple, and I'll save you from this. Uh, and it's her playing him giving herself, playing her, the advice. I like that moment. Wait, I like that movie. I guess it's Dingus who more poo-pooed it. Yeah, it was yeah. very poo-poo-y. On that. Yeah. But I just love, you know what? If there's one thing better than a scene with Ashley Bell, it's a scene with two Ashley Bells. Mm, good point. 
Yeah. Chris. <laughs> was that? Or Chris? Oh, I feel bad for Chris. Yeah, remember Chris? That was your that was your recollection. Yeah, it's the, uh, Spencer Clark, the little kid from Unbreakable. Yeah. Hmm. Poor Chris. I know. All right, other runners up. I've hogged the runners up category. You guys? Um, in airplane, that guy goes. You better tell the captain we got to land as soon as we can. This woman has to be uh, taken to a hospital. Okay, I'll accept that. That's all I got. Dingus? Uh, I've got a couple. Uh, how about this? Uh, fuck pride. Ah, oh, that's good. <laughs> he doesn't really want to take that advice, though. No, he does not. So, of course, that's Pulp Fiction, where Marcellus Wallace is telling him that he's going to have a little sting, and uh, when that happens, you know, it's just pride bucking with him. Um... The, I already did the Magnolia one. Uh, th- this is another bit of advice that I really love, uh, and that's when the the dude that they first talk to, uh, who is not the demonologist, uh, tells them if they want to mess around with a Ouija board, it's probably a bad idea to do so in Paranormal Activity, and they better ah. contact a demonologist because he can't really help them. Uh, so he's like, uh, you, you, you understand what I'm telling you. To, you know, if, if you feel like picking up a board and playing games with it, uh, that's opening a door. You know what I'm telling you, right? So he's giving them advice not to mess with that and to talk to the demonologist. Wait, he says that you know what I'm telling you all? Yeah, he's, he, he's like, do you, you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, this is going <laughs> to open a door, so don't do this. <laughs> uh, so I love that. I just love that scene in Paranormal Activity. And so the other one, and, th- and this just came to me with the Lion King thing, um, uh, you know, which where we tell where I think that Kelly, you read something about turning your back on something. It reminds me of that moment in Lethal Weapon, <laughs> where uh, where Denny Glover says, "God, God hates me." That's that's got to be what this is. And Mel Gibson says, "Hate him back." That works for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel Gibson' advice to Denny Glover is to hate God. All right, you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Three three? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just going to be a very simple one. I don't think it's going to need any explanation. Um, I'm not taking anything off the table because there are some great ones and some very obvious ones. Maybe look a little further for the, for the less obvious ones. I'm curious what you come up with. Uh, military women. Your favorite military women. Now, I don't want just some, like, Kick out, you know, don't bring up Zoe Saldana and Colombiana or whatever. Just, I don't mean just some woman kicking ass. I mean, women in the military. Generally, it involves a uniform. Uh, and that's what I want from you guys, your favorite Wait. military women. Yes, Kelly Wan, you had a question? Please what don't. was that last thing you said about uniforms? Well, generally, yeah, a military did. is an organization. Oh, general military. A lot. Of, I can't think of any military. Maybe the Russians invading uh, the Ukraine. But I, I was going to say I can't think of any military that doesn't wear a uniform. So maybe you can use that as. You know, I don't want to have to pull out my three by three cop badge. Is what I'm saying. Do Freemasons count? It's not the military. Kelly, what? I'm pulling the badge out. See this? Oh shit! See this? See Wait. it? Does does the three by three police count as military? Nope, it's that's a that, the, are the police a military force? Kelly, on the police. But you have a woman's military. last name. I remember from kindergarten, so I just assume <laughs> that was you. Those we, uniforms. We've talked about whether police are considered military before. They're not. Everybody knows. What about Blackwater? Not the crocodile movie. There's a word. There, there's a, the word paramilitary has para in front of it for military activity. Yeah. Okay. So uh, send your picks in to three by three. That's 
the, letter, the number three, the letter X, the number three, at quarter3.com. We'd love to read them on the air. Next week, we're going to see Into the Storm. Did you So you didn't watch trailers for it? You're no, go of course in. not. I do know something. Dingus, cover your ears. La, 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 la. His tender ears. Matt Walsh. Ah. Oh, That's all I have to say about shit. that. Damn. Who's that? Uh, Kelly, I want to hear that you did watch Veep. Yeah. Which one's huh. he? Oh, that guy. Yay. That's all I'm saying. Is he the star? All right. I, I don't know. You know what? We'll find out. Let's see. Uh, so see Into the Storm and then join us uh, for the podcast for that next week. Or see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We're not going to be talking about that because none of us is going to see it. Have fun with those creepy turtles. Megan Fox. Fox. Oh, she's creepier than the turtles. You think of that? She's all CG now. Uh, I am talking. Yes, Kelly Lund? Get your hand off me, Mutant Ninja Turtle. There was this part of the trailer where. I did watch that trailer because I have no intention of seeing the movie. The newscaster so. goes, Is there anything else about these turtles? And she goes, They're ninjas. But then she doesn't go, And they're also teenage and mutant. So you're saying the writing in this movie is suspect? Is what you, from the trailer, that's the suspicion you have? Well, and there's also like a, an applause line, and then it cuts to her face, and she just looks, she's doing the Megan Fox face, but doesn't say anything. But then the music's like, she just said something. I did like her in Jennifer's body, by the way. Yeah, I will uh, say that. Here we go. I call that my O face. <laughs> uh, I am Tom Chick. Okay. I've been joined by Christian Mulowski. It's Christian Mulowski. And Kelly Wand. Um, really, nothing else, Kelly? Come on. When, when have you ever left us hanging like that? Oh, uh, like Thursday? <laughs> Listen, baby. Ain't no mountain high. Ain't no valley low. Ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me. No matter where you are. No matter how far. Don't worry, baby. Just call my name. Well, Dingus, I guess we're the real guardians of the uh, internet. Uh, I don't learn. That's one of my issues. Is that the tree guy? <laughs>